In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, O God. Glory to thee, heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present, and fillest all things, O treasure of every good and bestower of life. Come and dwell us, and cleanse us of every stain, and save our souls, O good one. We now come to the end of a very long series of talks. Some of you will recall that I started with talk 32, which was, O child, you have massacred the demon, which was about deceptions, manathos, etc. Talk 33, and no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. Talk 34, what do we need to know to understand the deceptions of our times? Talk 35, seeking signs and miracles, beneficial, harmful. Talk 36, signs and miracles versus God's word, which produces the strongest faith. Talk 37, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, which was last month's. And today's talk, pride and vainglory, a spiritual cancer. These seven talks, with God's help, I believe, will help a person to be able to understand the deceptions that are in our times. Now, some people might say, why dedicate seven talks? And if the most talks are over three hours, which means I think it's around 25 hours of talk time. And even that is not really enough. But the point is that I have touched on a lot of deceptions that exist from within the Orthodox Church and outside the Orthodox Church. And unfortunately today, many people who are Orthodox supposedly believe in these deceptions which exist because they do not know their Orthodoxy and especially if you're not struggling. Some people read a lot of books. Some people come to talks. And that's okay, but if you're only reading books and only coming to talks or listening to talks in your car, but there's no prayer life, there's no liturgical life, in other words, the person's not going to church, because we see Christ's example, that Christ every Saturday, as it says in the Gospel, would go to the synagogue. So therefore, if Christ, being God, went to the synagogue, obviously to show us an example, that we can't be like those silly people who say, I don't have to go to church, I stay home and pray, because God is everywhere. Those who cut themselves off from the services of the church cut themselves off from God. Because the Holy Liturgy especially is the source of the grace of the Holy Spirit for all, for all Orthodox Christians, but even the liturgy benefits those who are not Orthodox. Maybe not to the same extent, but to some extent, the liturgy sanctifies the whole world. When you cut yourself off, you cut yourself off from God. It is demonic for a person to just read, as we heard in talk um, 32, one of them, when the demon appeared to the monk as an angel and said, you don't have to go to pray, you don't have to do anything, just read. And slowly, slowly, he said, now, don't read the New Testament, just read the Old Testament, until he became possessed. And that's what the demons do. Maybe he's not going to appear to us as an angel of light. 
but he does appear in, in our thoughts and tells us his stupidities, don't have to go to church, prayer's not that important, just read a bit. Some people say, I feel better when I read. All these things are incorrect. When we cut ourselves off from prayer and from the church's life and we just read and we just listen to talks, we become demonic. We become proud. So there are people who can rattle off things from books. They can say things that they hear in talks. But you can always tell a person who's struggling to a person who's just yap, yap, yap and just speaks and doesn't, is not coming from the heart. One person speaks from the heart because the grace is there, but the other person is speaking from the mind and those people are empty and they become open to demonic deception. So I, I say it's good that a lot of you people come to the talks. It's good that a lot of you people buy books. It's good that a lot of you people buy CDs, etc. That's good. But if you're not, I repeat, if you are not praying and you are not going to church, some, I know there are people who don't even go to church on Sunday. And that's not right. Actually, it's really dangerous. That's where Christ says in the Revelations that he accepts to some extent the cold Christians or hot Christians, but the lukewarm, those who know about orthodoxy but do not do it, it says in the Revelations that he vomits them out. And as we saw from all the examples over these months that we've been reading Christ's behaviour, his um, relationship with the Pharisees and the scribes, how he would really censure them, he'd tell them off, he'd call them hypocrites, he exposed them. Why? Because they were people who should have known the law of God, but they didn't do it. So that's the same as today. Orthodox Christians who know the law of God and do not do it are like the Pharisees and the scribes of old. And what did the Pharisees and the scribes of old do? They crucified Christ. So what are we doing when we, as Orthodox Christians, know the law of God, know what the church teaches and we don't do it? We are crucifying Christ, which is the worst sin. Now, some of you might say, well, what happens if we can't do the law of God? What's the answer to that? What happens if we, there are certain commandments that we can't keep? We substitute the commandment, as the Holy Father say, with repentance and humility. You say, Lord, I cannot keep that commandment. I'm very weak. Please help me, forgive me, and let me try again and again and again and again. That is not the same as someone who disdains, that magic word disdains, that just rejects the commandment. Yes, it says there that I shouldn't, I shouldn't commit adultery. I should be faithful to my wife or to my husband. That's the commandment, but I'm going to do it anyway because that's what I feel like doing. See, that's called disdain. That's no struggle there. The desire of Orthodox Christians to see miracles and even to perform miracles, St Ignatius says, must not be ignored. St Ignatius in his book, Signs and Miracles, which we have at the back, this is where I got these talks from, for the last three or four of them. He says this desire must not be ignored. 
The reason for this is that the desire to perform miracles is severely condemned by the Holy Fathers of the Orthodox Church, as is the desire to see miracles out of curiosity and not for the purpose of salvation, which we've covered all that in the past. So I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to repeat that. The desire is based on pride and vainglory. Why do you want to do miracles? Out of pride. Why do you want to see a miracle? Curiosity, that we're special, that we saw something, someone else didn't see a miracle. The desire is based on pride and vainglory, which lead the soul to self-delusion and even worse, demonic de delusion. We've, and we read about all that over the past months. See the Pharisees, they used to come up and say to Christ, show us a miracle, show us a miracle. And Blessed Theophilus, in his interpretations, explains and says that that desire was demonic. Because Christ already did miracles. He did healings, he did a lot of things, but that wasn't enough for them. They wanted to see spectacular things and things like that. It is for this reason that the last seven talks, including tonight's, have all been dedicated to the thorough examination of this very important subject. Ignorance or the rejection of the teachings of the church regarding the evil this evil desire, that is to perform miracles, is the reason for the situation in the world today. That's why Orthodox Christians hear something, they go, oh, the woman said that she could tell you the future. Or the fellow that, that talks to the dead, the um, Edwards man, that he knows that, and people become confused and say, how do they know? Or that stupid thing that happened during recently with the octopus, where someone, where they said the octopus was um, predicting, was going into certain boxes and were predicting who's going to win, was it the World Cup or something, the soccer, and things like that. And all for us Christians go, see, the octopus has got special powers. That is showing ignorance, complete lack of understanding. The demons are beings with intelligence. And they are out to trap, to trick people, to pull them away from Christ. The fact that the demons are able to so easily delude people, their sole purpose is to draw people away from Christ and salvation, which I just said. Now, let's look at a spiritual attitude, how one should think about miracle workers. Saint Isaac the Syrian writes, now when we say Saint Isaac the Syrian, like when we say Saint John Chrysostom, these are great holy fathers of the, of the Orthodox Church. When we say Saint Isaac the Syrian, our ears should open, we should stand, meaning with, within, our, within our souls, stand at attention and listen to these holy words. They're not the words like we saw what's going on now in Sydney and Melbourne, where we've got some royalty that's come, as you know. Not the Queen of England, the Queen of America, but you understand that Americans, they don't believe in, in um, the monarchy. They will say, no, we don't believe in the monarchy. We're a republic. But at the same time, they've got a queen, the Queen of America. Oprah. So, it's a, I don't understand how they say that they're not, that they're not uh, monarchists, but at the same time, they have, they have this queen. Anyway, 
We see people, as soon as she speaks, people stand at attention. That's their, that they can do that. That's okay. That's, that's what they want to do. But what's sickening is when Orthodox Christians stand at attention and listen to her words as if they're listening to Christ's teaching. We hear how it says um, Martha and Mary, how Christ came to Martha and Mary's house and Mary sat at the feet of Jesus listening to his teaching. And today, I don't know what percentage of Australia are sitting at the feet of Oprah and listening to her teachings. And this is sad. Very sad. One woman that I saw in one interview, she said that as Oprah walked past, Oprah touched her hand. And she said that she's never going to wash that hand again. Well, I wouldn't like to be invited to her place with such a hand, which was probably full of E. coli, and get food poisoning because she's never washed it. But this is the thing. Now, of course, we don't have Oprah's and other people like that. We have the saints of the church. That's who we look up to. Now, some of you might say, oh, but she says some good things. She says some good things. And she says a lot of rubbish. The, she used to be Christian, by the way, whatever, some type of Christian. Now she's some type of other... Uh, some type of way out faith like the Scientologist, but not Scientologist exactly, but some other way out thing. So, and she tries to promote that within, through her programs. The Lord with... This is what St. Isaac the Syrian says. The Lord without need does not reveal his power through a visible act, that is like healing, or a sensory sign like smell, vision, voice, or you hear voices. The reason for this is that God does not want his divine power to become commonplace for us and that we should not lose proper reverence towards him. That is not to become familiar, not to look at God's miracles as an everyday thing. Like every day the sun comes out. Every day it goes night. And it goes sometimes cold, warm. These are everyday occurrences. But we don't want God's divine power to be like that, an everyday thing. So St. Isaac the Syrian says, God does not so easily uh, reveal his power through these ways. Because people will lose, as it says, this loss of reverence would cause harm to our souls, St. Isaac says. This loss of reverence would, would cause harm to our souls, and I add to that, because it leads to a loss of the fear of God. Now, as you know, some of you, that I used to teach for many years, and I, didn't, I never liked familiarity at school as a teacher. Familiarity is what? When kids come up and they talk to you as if you're their friend. Now, there are some carnal-minded people who say, oh, the teacher has to be friendly. And this but when you speak to children, actually, at the end of the day, they actually say that they respect the ones that are stricter, that are like that. The ones that are familiar might be ha-ha for a while, but after a while, they consider them as clowns. And the schools are full of clowns. But the point is that I, never, I, I didn't like that. Why? Because there's a certain motto that we say in the teaching profession 
Familiarity breeds contempt. What does that mean? When you are familiar with someone, it breeds later on hate, that that person later on will hate you because you're friendly, and then when you have to be strict, then all of a sudden the person becomes hateful towards you. Kids don't understand that. So there's always got to be a certain thing. And the same with parents. Sometimes parents want to be overdone, very familiar with their children to the point that their children later on do not take them seriously. There's what's called respect. The same as in the church. We have an awe of God. We have a respect of God. We have a fear of God. God is not something of everyday um, occurrences, something trivial. And therefore, if we become familiar, like the altar boys that go in the altar, or people that chant, then we lose fear of God. What do I mean by that? Some people believe that oh, it's good for my child to go in the altar because they're closer to God. But I say that what happens is that they become familiar. See, those who stand outside look at the altar and know that there's something holy there. They see the priest going in. They know that the liturgy takes place in there. There's an awe. The kids that go in the altar, they have no awe. Very rare if one in a thousand might have some awe. And I can prove that to you. We have so many Orthodox churches in Australia. Hundreds, Greek, Serbian, Russian, Antiochian, etc. And through those churches over the decades have gone many, many boys, young boys, adolescents, and helped in the altar. And the question I ask, where are they now? Where are they? I've been to churches, I won't say where here, where there sometimes were 30 altar boys on a Sunday. 30. Where are those kids now? I tell you that hardly none of them go to church, so much that you become holy by going into the altar. That's called familiarity. The priest who serves in the altar has to struggle with familiarity every day, but he's conscious of it. He knows that he, that he can walk in and just feel nothing. He has to struggle that he keeps his awe for God because he's there, he's doing the liturgy, he's touching the altar table, he's touching the body and blood, etc., etc. All these things, if the priest becomes too familiar, he can lose all his reverence towards God. But the difference between a priest and an altar boy is that the priest is older, He's a priest and therefore he, should, he is more aware of the problem. While the kids that are young, yeah, they even have three and four-year-olds in there. The, the children that are young, five, seven, even 10, 11, 12, they don't know. They don't even know that they have to have reverence. All they know is that they've got to stand in certain times and you know, this is not right. So that's some examples of familiarity. The same as when we have miracles in our life, we don't want to become familiar with God's divine power. However, when the circumstance demands visible help, says Saint Isaac, then by necessity God, in his providence, most wisely assists those in need. And I add to that, this is not what Saint Isaac says, but I add to that from our other readings, 
This is only if it's spiritually beneficial because there might be a need that someone's dying of cancer. There's a need. We want that person to get well. The person themselves wants to get well. So therefore, this is an opportunity for God to help in a circumstance which is completely beyond. Doctors can do nothing now. Um, no human power is it's, it's not possible for that person to get better. However, sometimes God does show a miracle, does, does perform a miracle, sometimes he doesn't. That's why I added there, if it's spirit, spiritually beneficial for those involved. However, one who dares and asks God to accomplish something unusual, something out of the ordinary, while not being forced by necessity, like the person, the example of the cancer. That's a necessity. There's nothing wrong with praying to God and saying, God, please help. I pray for this person to get better. If it is your will, always add that prayer. If you don't add that prayer, then you're going to have a lot of problems. Always add that prayer, if it's your will. If it's beneficial for that person with cancer to get well and continue on for years, let them get better. But if it's not beneficial for their soul, then your will, thy will be done. But someone who asks for a miracle for some stupid reason, not that it's a necessity, is tempted in his mind by the devil. In other words, he's being deceived. The devil is mocking him because he desires that miracles and signs would be accomplished through him, through his prayers or through her prayers. For example, a mother knows that her child's going to sit for an exam, say, and they pray, and they're praying to God and say, help the person to do well, even though they haven't studied, or even if they are slow, because they could be slow as well, or they're, or they're lazy, they haven't studied, or they just got behavioural problems where they don't listen, whatever the reason. Help, him, help them to get good marks. Help them to get good marks. You see, that is not right because humanly um, that is like asking for something where there's no, no effort has been put in, either by the mother or by the child. Things like that might not might be a good example, but there are, we'll go through more examples as, to, as we go on. Elder Paisio said a good example. He said in his book, there's a rock which has to be moved. He, he, he says simple things. Because he's holy, he uses simple examples. I, I, unfortunately, use sometimes complex ones. So he says there is a, a rock, and that rock has to be moved. So we pray to God for the rock to be moved. He says that's not right. If you must make your human, human effort to move the rock yourself. See, it's a very simple example. You move it. You put the effort in. Get others to help you. Why are you asking God to do something when you can move it yourself or get others to help you? However, if you cannot, there's no way out of it, then you can ask God to help. Now, I add to that. Say, for example, underneath that um, rock might be a, a source of water and you're in an area where there's no water. How are you going to get water to drink for yourself or for your family, etc.? There's no way of moving that rock. It's humanly impossible. And if you don't move the rock, then you're going to 
die from thirst or your family, then obviously that's a need, see? Necessity. If it's God's will, help to move the rock. And that's the same with all our problems in life. We have to make a human effort first. Help me get a job, some say. I'm going to do a maleben to get a job. People come and say to me, Father, can you pray when you serve the liturgy or can you do a maleben so I can get a job? Okay, have you got the Sydney Morning Herald? Have you read it? He goes, no. So what's going to happen? You're going to be taken by an angel to the job and placed there and said, this is your, this is your job. See, that, that's demonic. That's proud. You make an effort and at the same time you can pray to God and say, help me, guide me. But there must be effort on our part. So, such a person is seen as vainglorious and as having a conscience that is sick. It is permitted in one's sorrow to ask for divine help, but to tempt God without need is disastrous. Most sinful is the one who wishes it, says Saint Isaac the Syrian. And he goes on. In the lives of the saints, we find examples where God expressing his disapproval, would fulfil such desires. Now, what does that mean? In the lives of saints, there were people who prayed to God for something which was not beneficial for them. But they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and God gave them that request, fulfilled that request, even though it wasn't beneficial. Now, you might say, why? As a punishment. Like the Jews who asked for a king and God said no and then they said no we want a king and they picked I think if I remember right Saul and he was a pest of pests and a horrible person and the Jews were tormented by him because God said to them you don't need a king I'm your king they said no we want a king they, I think they got jealous because they saw other people from other areas that they had kings so they wanted a king they got the king and then they were punished through that king so God does fulfil sometimes our desire. Remember the example that I gave years ago, which I was going to photocopy it and have it ready, of that couple. It's an excellent example, and I always use it or remember it for myself when I ask for things, remembering that not everything that we ask is for our good. I like this book, Councils for Life, from the life and teachings of Father Epiphanios, who was a Greek priest. and died in the 80s, I think. I actually met this particular priest I went and visited him once when I was in Athens and um, very strict but very very wise elder and all his advice is wise he says don't pressure God the elder related the following event as he had heard it from a bishop he knew years ago the bishop had stayed one or two weeks in a certain city for healing as it's at its natural hot spring so the bishop went to a city because he was sick for the springs there there he kept company with a certain serious elderly man who remained at the same hotel and seemed pious and spiritually mature. This was the bishop who met this, the bishop met this man. One day, that man, the old man, related his history to the bishop as follows. If God does not give children, he knows something. We should not pressure him as we wish to give them to us. He had gotten married the first time when very young, but he did not obtain children. The spouses were very unhappy about this and 
after they exhausted all means of science or medical, they insistently sought refuge in God. They, they did prayers, they asked for liturgies, they kept vigils, they made promises, they gave money to the poor. They wanted, of course, to at least have one child. So far, is there anything wrong with that? Isn't that what I tell you a lot of times? You do liturgies, you do this, you do that. So, so far, it seems that there's nothing wrong. They couldn't go to the... They, the doctor didn't help them. Me medical science couldn't help them. So they turned to God. God allowed them, as was shown afterwards, to have a boy. The child grew up normally. When, though, he became 12 years old, his mother, his natural mother, died, and he became orphaned. After a few years, the father was married again to a woman quite a bit younger than he. His job demanded that he frequently travel to the countryside. After one such absence, the man returned home unexpectedly, the wife didn't expect it, and caught his now 20-year-old son uh, in a situation which is quite inappropriate, So, because we've got the younger ones. His soul oiled over, in other words, he became very angry, and he took a knife and murdered his son. At the court, a real wreck, he did not try to justify himself, but he undertook all his responsibilities. Despite the mitigation which they recognised, in other words, the court recognised that the father lost it because of the circumstance that it was really, you know, he was condemned to quite a few years in prison. His wife naturally separated from him and he fulfilled his sentence. After he got out of jail, he lived alone and in repentance awaiting his death. He concluded saying, why should I have egotistically pressured God to satisfy my will, thinking that it was also his will? Why did I not allow him to judge and to give me whatever he wanted? Now I have neither a child, now I have neither a child nor family, and furthermore, am the murderer of my own child. I asked the question, what is wrong that they prayed and asked God for a child? Because I often recommend that. If people come to me, they say, oh, you know, we want to have a child, we can't have a child. Okay, we read prayers. I tell them to, if they can send money overseas to monasteries, venerate relics, icons. What's the, am I actually doing something wrong? Does anyone know what the problem is there? Why? Yes? They never asked once. They had such, we say in Greek, pisma, which means in English, stubbornness. They were stubborn. They were demanding from God. They were saying, you give us that child. And after a while, wouldn't they wake up and say to themselves, maybe this is not really meant to be. Maybe there's a problem here. But they didn't do that. They went on and on and on and on, and God gave them. That's the example of what Saint Isaac the Syrian is saying. Saint Isaac the Syrian is saying that God does give the miracle, um, does give the person's request. If one is granted his request by God, then the evil one finds a place in him. Such a person walks before God, 
not with reverence, but with insolence. So if this person is granted their request, then they become proud. They become insolent. Like I said, the children at school, where they come up to the teacher and they say, oh, you know, I want this or do this. No, no, you will wait till you're spoken to this, etc., etc., etc. The same with children. You don't allow children to demand and say, I want this, I want that, I want that. You say, no, you will wait. And if they fall on the ground and they chuck a tantrum, then you leave them on the ground. After a while, when they see that you're ignoring them, they'll stop and they won't do it anymore. It's because we give in. So that's where children learn to disrespect their parents or students disrespect their teachers. And in this case, we disrespect God where we ask God and say, you give me this, you give me that, when I want. When the devil sees that, he actually has power over that person because of that lack of reverence towards God, that lack of respect, that insolence, that familiarity, that overconfident spirit, that boldness with no fear of God. The devil then drives him into greater daring. In other words... He becomes recklessly daring and more disrespectful towards God. Once he gets a couple of things, then the person says, now I'm going to ask for that and that and that and that and that. Saint Isaac continues, truly righteous ones not only do not desire to be miracle workers, this is very important now, the saints didn't want to do miracles. But even when they were given the gift of miracle working, they refused it. They would say to God, I don't want it. Not only do they not wish it before the eyes of men, not only did in front of a man they would say, I don't want that, I don't want that, but they would in their depths, because someone can pretend and say, I don't want to be a miracle worker, but deep down they do. But here it's saying the saints, from the depths of their soul, right in their heart, they did not want to do miracles. They didn't want to have that type of power. We'll go on and see why. Example. One of the Holy Fathers, because of his purity, received by the grace of God a divine gift to discern the thoughts of those who came to him. God gave this person, because of his purity, the ability to know what's in the person that's approaching them. What sins, what their desires, what good they've got, everything. Everything. Now, demons know, in, in general they know all the evil that's in us, all the sins, because they're the ones that a lot of times pushing us to do the sins, but he doesn't know the good things that are in us, unless he's put something in there and tells us that's good. But in general, the true, truly good things, he doesn't know. And this is very important, the secret word here, purity. Because this person was pure of soul, God gave him this gift. Not us that are full of filth and passions and jealousies and hate and other evil that's in us. And, all of, and those people that exist around the world that we hear, whether they're magicians or whether they're uh, mediums, etc., etc. Those people are corrupt in their life. They're not leading pure lives. Actually, 
you see that the more corrupt they are, the more power they've got. See, the Beatles, they sang in the beginning like little, like, you know, little, like, like little children's songs. And, but as they went on, they actually sang really powerfully demonic, very influential songs. Now, I saw a documentary of that once, and it was interesting that this started after they left England and went to Germany for a while. They weren't famous yet. And they got involved with sex and drugs, etc. Then after they opened themselves up to all those sins, then they had this ability to be able to turn the world upside down like they did. Now, some of you might say, are you saying that the Beatles were possessed? It's not my business to say that the Beatles were possessed. What I'm saying is that they did, uh, through their corrupt lives, they were, uh, the devils helped them. So purity is needed to have the true gifts of God. And those mediums and all those card readers and all those people do not have an ounce of purity. He asked God, I'll oh, accept the medium woman from the TV with her daughters and what's her name? The, Allah, uh, the Dubois woman, whatever her name is, the medium. They have this thing that she's a nice woman, like a homely woman, and she does all good things. When anyone enters into communion, with the demons because mediums are entering into communion with the demons. When they enter into communion with the demons, they begin to show certain disorders. One of them is nervous disorder, depression, madness. They're crazy. Hate. That's how you know. Now, of course, they show that woman on TV. That's a TV show. That's not true. And they don't even show in that TV show that that woman has any pride at all. But those people who are mediums, they're full of pride. See what I mean? This is ignorance. Ignorance is where, where we see things and we don't understand. Now, some of you might say, why are you looking at the medium? And say, I watched it a couple of times. Metropolitan Anthony Kaprovitsky, I think that's how you say his name, the first hierarch of the Russian Church abroad, but when he was in Russia, I think he was in charge of a seminary, don't know where, and he subscribed to every magazine that was in Russia, everything, whether to do with magic and mediums and Satanism and... Uh, um, anything and everything, because he said the priest today has to know what's going on, everything of what's going on to be able to help the people. If I sat here and I concentrated on my talk without saying anything about the outside world, whether it's the, the Queen or whether it's... Um, the John Edwards or any of these other things that are going on, all these things, then people are going to think, well, what does he know? But you've got to show that you know. 
and then you've got to expose it through orthodox teaching. So those people who say, what's he doing watching those things? Well, that's why. So that when someone comes to me and they start going on and on, I know where they're coming from. But you might say, oh, but some saints never had any exposure to that. Seraphim of Sarov, he never had any exposure to those things. Some of the Optin elders, even though they read a lot, a lot of them, but let's just say Seraphim of Sarov, did he read all those magazines? Did he look about all these things? But yet he was able to help people. What's the answer to that? I'm not Seraphim of Sarov. It's very simple. I'm not Saint Seraphim of Sarov. Saint Seraphim of Sarov was a vessel of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the grace of the Holy Spirit. Let us know our limitations. Uh, so this Holy Father, he had the ability to discern the thoughts of those who came to him. He asked God and begged his friends to pray that this gift would be taken from him. This is like remarkable for someone to read. Would you think that Benny Hinn would actually pray for his um, gift to go away, his gift of healing. He does miracles, supposedly. Do you think that he would actually give up that thing that he can go up and go like that to someone and like he taps them on the face? Sometimes you're not sure if they're convulsing because they got scared from the slap across the face. Anyway, but it's not really that. It's actually power that he's got. He puts his hand on someone and the person convulses and falls out. Some of them are false, but a lot of those things are real. Those people are convulsing. They have a demonic influence on them. He, I don't know if many of you know him, he wears a white suit. He does miracles, supposedly, in, in front of not just the people that are in his stadium that he, plays, that he goes to, thousands and thousands of people, but his shows are, are broadcast all around the world. I wonder if he actually prays that the gift be taken away. Now, some of you might say, but why would you want the gift to go? If, you go? if you're able to help people, why would you want God to take away the gift? Well, let's see. If some saints accepted these gifts, like discernment, clairvoyance, healing power, power over demons, etc., they accepted it out of necessity or by reason of their simplicity, while others accepted the gift through the instruction of the Holy Spirit acting in them. Some of them were so aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit within them that they understood that God is instructing them to use this miracle. Some used it because of necessity. They might have been a an abbot at a monastery that had spiritual fathers and God gave him that ability even though he might not have been pure of soul to such an extent as say as, as, as the person should be but out of necessity just like God gives gifts which we're going to learn later on to parents if parents ask God for enlightenment to help them with their children then the parents will be amazed by some things that will come into their head of how to bring up their children and that's a gift. And that's not because of their purity, but that's because of necessity. Necessity. You need to know, especially today, what's for our children, what's good, what's bad, what should we do? 
Should we smack them, not smack them? Should we put them in their room? Is that going to cause psychological problems? Do we let them watch TV? We don't let them watch TV. Do we, do, do we let them watch TV later on when, when they get older? Is that going to damage them? School, what happens with the school? Do we send them? Do we homeschool? There's all these issues which parents need help. They can ask the priest. But a lot of times they need to have help from God to help them because when I speak to parents, they need to know sometimes answers of what to do in situations every few minutes. Sometimes it's that difficult bringing up children. So that's a gift out of necessity, but dangerous still, but we'll go on to that soon. While others accepted the gift, oh, we said that, truly righteous ones constantly considered themselves to be unworthy before God. The saints, when they had these gifts, felt unworthy of such gifts, truly unworthy. If you don't learn anything today, much, because I know it's a long talk, remember that, that they truly felt that they were unworthy of having those gifts. The fact that they considered themselves accursed and not worthy of the care of God verifies that their gifts are from God. When someone says, when, someone, when, when, when a person has a, a gift and says, why should I have this and I'm not worthy? And on top of that, they actually say, I can't handle this gift. It's too much for me. I don't want it because I'm scared, scared of what we'll see. Then there's some possibility if someone has the discernment to say, yes, this is from God. In conclusion, St. Ignatius branching of writes, those who wish to perform miracles or those who seek signs and miracles wish to do so due to the excitement of the passions and self-delusions. The passions. What passions? Pride. Vainglory. The passions work in us and it's the passions that want to do these things. Something which they do not understand. A person who's not leading a spiritual life who's not very sensitive to his spiritual life, is unaware that behind them what's driving their desire to do miracles or to see them, etc., is passions and the demons. They believe that this is out of zeal for God's work, but obviously it's not. St Ignatius continues on. It is forbidden in all circumstances to tempt God and to cease revering and fearing him. It is only permitted to ask for God's help in extreme need, which we've said, when we have no way of our own to be delivered from it. We've said that before. However, the type of assistance must be left to God's will and mercy as he knows what is helpful for the soul. When we ask for something, when it is extremely, extremely necessary, when there's no other way out, when we're asking for God's help, we say... You help in the way you know and only if it's your will. That's the seal. That's how you know your prayer is holy before God. Even if it's your child. Imagine now a parent whose child could be in hospital and the doctor says, I don't think your child's going to live. And for that parent to have the faith and to have the spirituality to actually make a prayer and say, 
God, please, I want, can you please heal my child if it is your will? And if it's not your will, do what you want. Take the child, whatever. See, this is a strong, faithful soul. Or our spouse, or whatever other circumstances. So we leave the type of assistance to God's will and mercy, as he knows what is helpful for the soul. Such trust leads to humility. Only a humble person can make such a prayer. A person, when a person prays and says, Thy will be done, that means that there's some presence of humility in the soul of that person. A proud person can never say, Thy will be done. Never. They can't do it. When divine help comes, it does not occur with outward brilliance, something visually spectacular, which we already heard from other talks, as our carnal mind might wish. See, the unspiritual person, when it asks for miracles, a lot of times they want it to be something spectacular, like we heard in the other talks. Because our fallen nature wants that. In this way, the soul will not be harmed by vainglory, by being satisfied, elated with outward brilliance. We don't want something spectacular. Something that's uh, visually, you know, like smells or voices being heard or angels appearing, all these things that are spectacular. It's not necessary. We don't want to see a boat that's in the water, like the big ocean liner that Nini, that Nini got, um, they got hit by a wave. We don't want to see something spectacular like for someone to say, and we saw the boat lift up in the air and the wave just rolled under and then the boat sat down. See, that's out of the ordinary. That's spectacular. And those things are dangerous, even though God can do that. But why doesn't he do it more often? Because it's dangerous. It leads to pride. It leads to vainglory. It leads to the loss of our souls. St. Isaac the Syrian writes, It is difficult for man to endure glory without harm to his soul. Now we're coming to the why the saints didn't want their gifts. It is difficult not only for passionate people, but even for those struggling with the passions. When we receive glory, say we are given a gift, and we receive glory from people. This glory is difficult if we are passionate, for passions, but even for those Christians who are struggling with their passions, but have not, of course, conquered their passions. They, those people, would find it incredibly difficult to endure the praise of, from people. But what is more fearful is that it is difficult, listen to this, for those who have conquered the passions to even endure glory without harm to the soul. In other words, even the saints who had conquered their passions, the saints who, had, who were passionless, found it difficult to have the responsibility to have those gifts from God. Why? If they don't have pride, if they don't have vainglory, if they were victorious over that, if that's the right word, if they gained a victory over that, 
then why would it be dangerous for them as well? Well, let's see. Although they have attained victory over sin, in other words, although victory over sin has been granted to them, the potential to change has not been taken from them. It is still possible to return to sin and once again to become enslaved to the passions. This has happened to some who were not careful enough, who allowed self-trust to creep in, vainglory and pride concerning their spiritual condition, their spiritual progress and their gifts. They saw themselves as having these gifts. People would praise them. And even though they were passionless, they still fell away because they weren't careful and then they returned to the state of passions, to pride, prize, vainglory, and lost themselves. Now we see why the saints didn't want these gifts from God. As Macarius the Great noted, an inclination to pride dwells even in the most cleansed of souls. In other words, even the greatest of saints were inclined to pride if they were not careful. Every person is inclined to pride. Saint Simon from Sarov, yes, he was full of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but he still had the, the potential to fall into pride if he wasn't careful. Obviously, he was, and that's why he became a great saint. But there were others who were like Saint Seraphim of Sarov, who at the end lost their souls. The gift of healing and other visible gifts are very dangerous for those whom they are given because they are highly valued and glorified by carnal people. Unspiritual people love those gifts. What I mean by unspiritual people, we're talking about the majority of Orthodox Christians. That's the most important thing. See, when you go, when you hear them say, oh, Elder Paisios, or, you know, or St. John of Cronstein, those people that lived in those times, or Archbishop John, what did they look at? That he knew something, that he knew the person's name, that he healed someone. Those are the things which, which interest people. That's the things that they run to, and they glorify a person like that. So if I, if I stood here now and said to John at the back there what he did yesterday, etc., etc., and then he gets all emotional, gets, that's true, how did you know? And everyone gets all, all, all emotional. And then everyone finds out. The next talk, we've got to break the walls down for the people to be here. There'll be thousands of people coming. Thanks, God. I don't know what you did the other day. <laughs> Um, I, sorry? The, the future as well. Anything. Anything of those type of things. Sometimes God enlightens the priest in certain circumstances to give some advice. And not necessarily because the person is cleansed, etc. But out of necessity. When a person comes with faith, a lot of times God does enlighten the priest. The priest might not even know that he was even enlightened at the time to say the right words. That's a... That's a, um, on a simpler level and still can be dangerous. However, when we parade 
and open up and say those things like those people do on the television and all those things, that is really, really dangerous. And we read about all those things before in those, in those talks, 32, 33, up to today. So why? Because people love those things. They really want them. They are highly valued, those gifts, by the unspiritual people. This includes Orthodox Christians who have not truly experienced the grace of God. Because an Orthodox Christian has experienced the grace of God and feels the urgency of being saved and sees that, that they're in danger of not being saved, aren't going to become enthusiastic because someone said their name. That's not going to help them to be saved. Something else makes them enthusiastic, which we'll see as we go on. Some saints who were granted blessed gifts, such as healing and spiritual discernment, gave into temptation, which we've said, and fell into sin. So how much easier is it for carnal people, people that are full of passions, to abuse the divine gift who lack a proper understanding of spiritual gifts? We, a lot of us, because of our passions, because we're blind, we can't handle these gifts. And we should say to ourselves, if the saints became tempted and fell away, which we're going to read now some examples, what's for us? Saint Isaac of Syria says, many performed signs, many resurrected even the dead, many laboured in the conversion of the lost, performed great miracles, and after this they themselves, who had given life to others, fell into evil and disgusting passions and gave themselves over to spiritual death. In other words, they were cut off from God. And now are some examples. Number one, from the life of St Macarius. A certain ascetic who lived near him, near St Macarius, received the gift of healing in such abundance that he would heal the sick merely by laying his hands on them. St Macarius said that nearby to him was an ascetic who was given the gift of miracles. It wasn't a demonic um, gift. It was a true gift. It was a gift of healing the sick just by touching a person. But what happened? He was glorified by men. Why? Because men want, people want to be healed. The whole thing's to do with sicknesses. We said that in the, in the past talks. Nothing's so important to people as, as being healed of sicknesses or having new faces or bodies to be slim and all these other things. Our physical appearance, our health is what people have as the most important thing and the soul doesn't even exist for them. Anyway, people came to him, they were amazed, they glorified him because he was able to heal. He became proud and he fell into the very depth of sin. Number two, from the life of Saint Anthony the Great. A certain young monk is mentioned who ruled over wild beasts in the desert. We know that Saint Seraphim had that ability. Remember, did he have a bear or something like that, if I remember? And a lot of the saints had um, this, when the animals would come close to them, they would become tamed. And he had this ability. When Saint Anthony heard of this miracle, this is a true miracle, he expressed distrust in the spiritual condition of the miracle worker. What's the spiritual condition? Meaning 
that this person has the potential to fall into pride and vainglory. That's what the saints are concerned about. Not long after, word came of the grievous fall of the monk. The monk fell into a big sin, and usually those big sins were sexual in nature. So he fell into a big sin. Why? Because he couldn't handle the gift that he had. According to tradition, the monk who wrote the service of the paraclesis, in other words, the service of the small supplicatory canon to the most holy Theotokos, the one that we sing often here, that, that beautiful canon, that wonderful canon, but when you just listen to the words of it, it's, com- it's all about spiritual struggle, that I'm full of passions, Holy Mother, help me, I'm in, I'm, I'm in despair, the demons are, are attacking me, help me not to sin, etc. That's full, that is such a wonderful canon. The person who wrote that canon, the monk, he later fell away. Always remember that. When we start to get proud, when we start to seek things that are not proper, remember these examples. Something which I read once that always torments me in a way, but in a good way, was when I read, when I read an, ex- an example of a person who was suffering for Christ. He was in the arena and he was being tortured by pagans and while he was being tortured he had a thought while he was in the pain while they were cutting off his parts of his body etc he had a thought that he's going to be glorified as a saint soon and he fell away when i look at those examples i say well what what can be left for us this person while he was being cut into pieces was proud So some of you might say, these examples that you're saying, if these great saints fell into pride, then what's left for us? That's true. There's nothing much left for us. Isn't that a bit despairish? No. What we do is we just keep on saying to God, protect me from pride. Protect me from uh, falling away and losing my soul because of pride. If a person prays continually like that and means it, then God will protect that person. That's all. Every day, you pray and you say, Lord Jesus Christ, please protect me, help me not to fall into pride. Meaning that we're going to fall. But the thing is not to fall and stay into it, not to actually become proud and lose ourselves completely. If we fall into pride and we notice it, that means God's helped us to notice it. That's a great thing. From the life of a desert father, in the 4th century there lived in Egypt a certain elder who had the special gift of miracle working and because of it received great glory among men. See, as soon as you get miracle working, as soon as you, as as you said, you know the future or you know the past or you can say something about the person or you can heal a person or whatever. As soon as you get that and people find out about it, straight away you are, the person um, is glorified by men, by people. Soon he noticed that, oh, this is an excellent example. Soon he noticed that pride started to possess him and that he was not able to defeat it through his own efforts. This is the most wonderful section. Why is it so wonderful? Because it's telling you here, this person was holy. 
this person, because of his holiness, was given this special gift of miracle working. He sensed the pride, number one. A lot of times when people aren't living spiritual lives, they don't sense the pride. That's really when it's bad. Obviously he was holy. He began to sense that he was falling into pride. How does he know he was falling into pride? Because where pride exists, you lose grace. God can't dwell in the heart of a proud person. So this person being sensitive to the grace coming and going, as, Saint, as Elder Joseph, the cave dweller, said in his book, he, that, that the, a person who's leading a spiritual life can sense the grace entering and the grace when it leaves. Sometimes the grace leaves because we've sinned. Sometimes the grace leaves because we might fall into pride. Sometimes the grace leaves just to teach us not to trust and to understand that everything that we have is from God's grace. Anyway, so this person was one of them. He understood that he was losing himself with the pride, and he couldn't fight it. He couldn't. He was. He was trying to pray, help me, protect me, help me. He couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't get rid of the this passion, this pride. The elder turned to God with the warmest of prayers, meaning sincere warm, deep prayers and begging him that he would be allowed to become possessed in order to achieve humility. God fulfilled this humble request of his servant and allowed Satan to enter him. The elder submitted to all the attacks of possession for over five months. Now when we say he possession, this is when the demons enter the person. I mean we all have demonic influence. But you know, even though we say, oh, I feel like I'm possessed, but that's, we say, we've, when we use that word like that, really what we mean is we feel the demons influence in us. But in this case is when the demons come and take their, they begin to live in the body of the person. And this, and that's really, if you've seen possessed people, they are tormented horribly. The elder submitted to all the attacks of possession for over five months. He even had to be chained. The great number of people who came to glorify him because they heard about that he was a holy person, they came to see a holy person and suddenly they saw a possessed person. They left making it known that he had lost his mind. They go, oh, he's lost his mind. There's no point in going to him. The elder who was now freed from the glory of men and from his pride thanked God who saved him from destruction. His salvation was accomplished by means of a short-term difficulty and dishonour before carnal men. Therefore, by means of a visible possession, the older was returned to the safe path of humility by the wondrous mercy of God. Now, sometimes that's what happens to us when we are asking God to protect us or help us if we feel a passion of pride coming in us. The answer could be some accident, some fall into sin even, which we do not that God makes us fall, but God allows the temptation to occur, as St. James says in his epistle, and we willfully accept the temptation. We can't say God made us fall into sin. God does not make us fall into sin. God allows the temptation, and if we fall, it's because we chose to fall. There could be that. It could be something else of 
of a horrible type of nature that could be for our souls. Now, some people say, oh, no, no, now that you're telling me that, I'm not going to pray for humility because something bad might happen to me to help me to, to be humble. That's okay. You don't have to pray. But unfortunately, what does it mean? It means that if we don't pray like that, that means we can become proud, not know it, and lose our soul. So that's where we become Orthodox Christians, where we are, sorry, Orthodox Christians, and have the faith that whatever God sends us is for our good, for our salvation. Some people say, no, I can't do that. What happens if God uh, allows an accident? Or what happens if God allows someone to die in my family to humble me? Or whatever. See, that's a lack of faith. That's, that's carnal-mindedness. Because what's the point if, we, if it's our husbands, if it's a husband, say, and the wife was praying and saying, please protect me from pride or whatever, and then the husband could pass away. That's the same. And she says, see how God is bad and I shouldn't have prayed like that, etc. So, because I, I wanted to be with my husband for the rest of my life. But for how long? 10 20, 30 years, maybe 40, maybe 50. But at the end, that doesn't count because you're still going to die. The main thing is, is to be with your husband or your children or whoever in the next life for eternity, in blessedness. That's what counts. And that's why the saints never, they weren't reluctant to pray like that. They would pray with boldness and say, send me whatever you, whatever you want, send me as long as I'm saved. That's the prayer that we should make. And if we don't want to make that, we're, off, we're, we're, we're free to do that, but we're not going to have spiritual fruits. Uh, yes, question, George. Uh, it's not a question, but I read that St. Ephraim, Mount Athos. St. Ephraim? Ephraim? Elder Ephraim. Yeah, he's yeah, still alive. Yeah. He said that um, God allows temptation to the faithful to teach him the art of war, spiritual war. So Saint, uh, on top of that, where, where he got that from is where Saint Anthony says that if it wasn't for the devil, we wouldn't be saved. What does that mean? That the devil is of use. Some people say, oh, why does the devil exist? And he's such a horrible and it's scary and this and that. But the devil, by tempting us, teaches us to run to God and teaches us what is temptations and the warfare and things like that. That's um, correct. John. Regarding the Beatles, I think it's always interesting to note that Charles Manson, the psychopathic cult leader, always claimed to be inspired and got messages from some of their later albums. And they also visited India, because you mentioned them visiting Germany. Oh, I forgot about that. that and they got into the Eastern was, religions. Yeah. And whenever you hear that song, My Sweet Lord on the radio, it's actually a, a devotional hymn to Lord Krishna. Which one's that one? My Sweet Lord. Ah, oh, that one, yes. Yeah. Yeah, That's to Hare Krishna, is it? Krishna. And the other one too, the um, they, 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 uh, how do they say it? Um, I forgot now. There's another one where they actually say like a mantra. They're yeah. singing, what's that one called? That's the, the same one. The same one, is it? Yeah. 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 Krishna. Ah, the you'll hear the word Krishna in it. And Krishna is a Hindu god. Yeah. A pagan god. Yeah. So people that are singing that song without realising it, are singing to a pagan god. In other words, it's a form of worship of the pagan god. And we have to know that our saints, 
actually chose to die and became martyrs because they didn't want anything to do with those pagan gods. So this is where we need to know these things. It doesn't say why he asked. Maybe he did and it wouldn't go away. And it doesn't say whether he had the gift later on. Did the gift continue after he was possessed and he came out humble and he continued to use the gift or was the gift taken away? It doesn't say. The main thing was that it... The main thing we learned from that, because there's a lot of things that wasn't said, is that he couldn't combat the pride. We're coming to that when we read St. John of the Ladder. Yeah. Vainglory is more when we show off ourselves, our um, virtues, whether real or not real. That's vainglory. Vainglory, like we want glory from people. And the pride is when we lift ourselves high above everyone and we basically lose our communion with God. But well, we're coming to that at the end. Uh, was it someone else? Did you have something? No? Okay, there's this to have the snacks and juices and water and whatever else you like. And we'll resume um, soon. Finally, these came in, which is the whole set of the Theophilact explanations. Um, it's Matthew, but there's Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke. Soft cover and a little bit more expensive is the same set as a hardcover. These are the books that I used in my previous talks for the explanations of the Gospels. And they are based a lot, as you read in that little leaflet that I gave out, on the Holy Fathers of the first century, like St John Chrysostom, etc. So every Orthodox Christian needs to have an explanation of the Gospels because what I do is when I read the Gospel, as soon as I see something that I don't understand or something, I go straight to there. If you ask me a question today and say to me, what does that mean in the gospel? I'll tell you either I know it, which usually I don't, or I just say I have to look it up. Our authority is the Holy Fathers. We do not interpret the gospel on our own. That's that. I ordered the prologue of Ocrid, written by Saint Nikolai, the Serbian saint, which also exists in Serbian, obviously. There was an older series before, which was four black books. This is... Um, one that was translated in America, which is um, in two volumes. Let me explain something to you about these books. Now, some of you might think, oh, he's only saying it so we can buy them. That's why I'm explaining it to you. So you can buy them. <laughs> That's exactly it. I recommend books which I know are useful. I don't recommend books just to recommend them or for money. These are a lot of trouble to order these books. I, I, you know, they, I, I'm get another shipment of books coming in, which I spent, which I'm going to spend about um, four thousand. And I had another shipment about a month ago, which was six thousand dollars of books. The first shipments from Saint Vladimir Seminary, like I got a few of them at the back there already. And the our second shipment is from the Holy Apostles Convent in Colorado, which they've got excellent books. Wonderful books. Now, this book 
has a couple of pages dedicated, so January the 5th. So it has the main saints, a little bit of explanation of the main saints, and then it's got a little bit of poetry which St Nikolai writes, and then a, re a reflection, which I'm going to read some of them today, which is part of our talk, and then a little contemplation from the Bible, and then an explanation of some verses of the Bible that he does. Now, I know people, Orthodox Christians, who read this every day. Now, Father Nicholas, the Serbian priest that comes here, he, and he says basically that if someone reads just this every day, you're being, you're being exposed to the lives of saints, the teachings of the church, explanations from the Old and New Testament, etc. There are people who actually read this like a drug, meaning that they have to read it every day. It's become part of their life. There are people who read this every day in front of their children. So they sit down maybe after dinner and after they finish their food, then someone reads the prologue aloud and people listen. Little children listen as well. Now, the thing with little children is that they don't understand. That's okay. You don't explain it to them because they're too young. What you do is you just let them listen. The word of God calms them down. People that have done this, they've, they've said to me, they actually just sit there and listen. Even three-year-olds, I said, do they understand? He goes, they don't understand nothing. They just sit there because, it's, because it gives them peace. So, my advice is that you get into the habit of reading this every single day where it becomes part of your life every single day. Then you will be enriched in the Orthodox faith by one of the great fathers of the 20th century. As we said, that saint, like we have the Greek St. John Chrysostom, Golden Mouth. We have the Russian Chrysostom, Golden Mouth, which was St. Tikhon of Zdansk. And we have the Serbian, the Serbian Chrysostom, the Serbian Golden Mouth, which is St. Nikolai Velimirovich. So that is a two-volume set. And this here is four volumes. But you don't have to buy the four volumes. You can buy one at a time, whatever you want. Soft cover. If you buy the set, I think it's cheaper. So, that is something that I urge you to do. I bought around ten. I think about three or four have gone. So there's a few left. And you won't regret it. Spiritual gifts and humility. St. Isaac the Syrian says that a spiritual gift without temptation, in other words, when we are given spiritual gifts without suffering... It is the destruction of the soul for those who accept it. If, you, if your deed, if your spiritual life, in other words, is acceptable to God and he grants you a gift, which he can give to all of us, then beg him to grant you, number one, the knowledge of how to be humble with such a gift, number two, that you might have protection with this gift, not to fall away, in other words, deprived, and number three, that the gift might be taken away from you if it becomes the cause of your ruin, for not all can keep riches without harm to themselves. What he says here is, just like someone who has a lot of money, they can't handle it, and they ruin themselves, that's the same as someone who has spiritual gifts, if they can't handle it, they can ruin themselves. Some examples of this, 
Saints Sisoas and Pimin. The great holy fathers, such as Sisoas and Pimin, our desert fathers, who had the most generous gift of healing, tried to hide it. They did not trust themselves. They realised man's potential to easily change, like I said earlier on. They understood that a person can become proud and fall away. They can change. Just like someone who says, um, oh, I, I don't feel sexual passion. I don't feel, I don't feel any temptations. And I said, what does that mean? What, you've got over it? And they go, yes. Go, no, no, you don't get over it. If you're not careful, it can come, and it can come with full force. Always we have to understand that any passion that we may have, that we think may have gone, even if it has gone, which usually it hasn't, it's usually hiding, but even if it has gone, can easily come back again. And, inst and, and instead, through they did not trust themselves, they realised man's potential to easily change and instead, through humility, kept themselves from spiritual misfortune. So you, we have to make a concentrated effort, an effort to keep ourselves humble. Now I'm going to pick three examples from the prologue. They're really nice examples, simple examples. St. Nikolai writes, it's not always easy to conquer the spirit of vanity and conceit in oneself. That's what, we've, that, that's what we've been saying. It's difficult for us to conquer the passions of vainglory and pride. Only the great spiritual fathers have succeeded in this with God's grace above all, with constant vigilance over their souls and with very delicate spiritual sensitivities and distinctions. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Fathers were constantly vigilant. That would mean that they were always looking at themselves. They were always praying and watching their thoughts, their feelings, that they don't fall into sins and passions, especially pride. They, were, they had the gift of discernment to know what's from God, what's not. Ava Nisteroyos was once walking with one of his brethren. Suddenly they spotted a snake on the road. The brother quickly moved aside and the great elder fled after him. So there's two people walking along the road, an elder, great elder, and a younger monk. And they're walking along, they saw a snake, the younger monk jumps to the side, scared, and the elder jumped with him, scared. And the, the, the young monk, or the monk said, are you also afraid, father? Asked the, um, the monk. The elder replied, no, my son, I'm not afraid, but I had to flee. Otherwise, I would not have escaped the spirit of vanity. I would not have escaped the spirit of vainglory. That is, had I remained in my place, you would have been amazed at me. And from that, from you becoming amazed at me, I would have become vain. I always remember that story. It's a nice story which sticks in our minds. That's why stories are good. Little stories stay in our minds and we call on those stories when we need to. When we start getting proud or when we start thinking, I oh, remember that elder, we think to ourselves, I remember reading in the prologue that example of the elder and how he didn't want to display, he didn't want to show off this, his powers, his gifts or whatever, so as not to fall into vainglory. But what do we do? Being fallen, we like to show off all our gifts. The most beautiful adornment of a woman is her modesty. 
while immodesty in a woman is the most unnatural, repulsive sight in the world. Now, obviously, St. Nikolai is not pro-feminist. A lot of these, um, what can we call them? The only word that can come to my mind is creeps, who actually say that when St. Paul speaks about women, he speaks against women because he's a misogynist. Misogynist is a Greek word, miso, which means hate, yeni, which means woman, hater, a hater of women. So St. Paul is a misogynist. St. Nikolai looks like he must be a misogynist as well. Actually, every holy father speaks in this way. The new theologians these people that exist today, whether they're Protestant or even in the Orthodox Church, they actually have a whole new theology about women which you can follow, if you like. But I rather follow the way of the, those who have communion with God. What the Holy Fathers say about women is inspired by God. In other words, it is from God. Let's read it again. A modest woman is a great thing. It's, it's beautiful. It's something that enriches the woman. Modesty. Of course, that's a hard word now. People have lost the meaning. They don't know what it means anymore. While an immod immodesty in a woman is the most unnatural, repulsive sight in the world. There's a book that was written in Greek and it was translated into English of a priest who went on top of Mount Athos. There's a little chapel there and he dedicated a certain number of days, I don't remember how many, where he wrote a book on women wearing pants. Now you might say, well, that sounds so primitive and so backward. But yet he writes that he believes that he was inspired by the mother of God and that he wrote this book. But what he writes in there, he just goes on and on and on. But one thing which sticks in my mind, he said, which I never thought of it, he goes, when a woman wears pants, she acts like a, a man. And when she wears a dress, she acts more feminine. Now, I've spoken to women about that, and they go, and they go that's absolutely true. See, he says, when a woman wears pants, they sit like a man, they walk like a man, they act like a man. So when you see those Academy Awards and all those shows where these women want to be really feminine, how come they don't go to those things in um, pants that they wear? Unless it was the, our Prime Minister, she, probably, she would go in pants. But um, <laughs> they wear dresses because they want to look feminine. Anyway, that's a thing. A wonderful example of feminine modesty was shown in the life of St Macrina. St Macrina, I think, if I'm correct, was the sister of St. Basil the Great. In her youth, a severe wound appeared on her breast, a wound on the breast. Even though her mother counselled her to show the, the wound to a doctor and seek a remedy, Macrina did not agree to it. She had completely dedicated herself to God and would not even think of exposing her body before men or even before her own mother. She was that modest. Now, does that mean that you women, that when you have to go and do... Um, screen breast screenings and things like that it means that you're not going to go which said here that this woman was completely dedicated to god she was um she had so much faith we're not let's be careful 
that we're not going to say now for women not to go and get breast screening and things like that. But you know what I mean. Women, for example, men or women, the beaches and those things, that's enough to understand what's immodesty and what's modesty. See, what did the church think, say? The church says that they shouldn't expose themselves, they should be covered, etc., etc., and things like that. And now we see that because of the type of costumes that they wear, the bikinis and all these things, that the women, they can't, there's no way that they can go out onto the beach with all their cellulite and things like that. It's impossible. They're going to go have operations. Right? So you're not going to see a woman wearing a bikini with stomachs and big, le- um, what do you call those, um, legs and things like that, all those lumps and dimples and all that. So they have to have operations. See, but I would say to women, or to men, let's just say, but mostly to women who are really obsessed about it, go, if you never went in the first place, if you never exposed yourself in that way, you wouldn't have a need for that. See, and that's why the church wisely said for that not to happen. Because it happens, this is what's led to this madness that's gone on and how many people are dying from uh, these operations, these liposuctions, etc. So many people are becoming uh, damaged or, are, or have died. You know, even some recently, we see it on those current affair programs. Um, so anyway, so women, of course, are going to go and have tests and things like that. We're talking about a woman here who was full of grace. We are weaklings. We go the normal way. We go to doctors. So because of her unity with God, uh, her holiness, one evening, Macrina earnestly prayed to God. Tears poured from the eyes and fell to the dust before her. With unwavering confidence in her Lord, she mixed the dust and tears with her fingers and anointed her wound with it. So she was crying. The, the, her tears fell on the ground, mixed with the, with the um, dirt there. She picked up that, mixed it together and put it on her breast with faith. The next day, she awakened healed. When her mother, with great concern, entered to see her daughter, Macrina did not reveal to her that the Lord healed her out of humility concealing the miracle which she herself had performed through prayer. She didn't even want to tell her mother about the, 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 the miracle out of humility. But begged her mother, saying, I will be healed, my mother, if you place your right hand on my breast and make the sign of the cross over the wound. Her mother reached out her hand and made the sign of the, well, sign of the cross, as so she will do it, over the spot where the, probably cancer, was but did not feel the wound anymore. When her mother put her hand there, she didn't feel the wound, but only felt like a scar. Thus did Macrina conceal her, her body out of modesty and her miracle working out of humility. So this woman, apart from the modesty, which is going to be another talk another time, I'll give you warnings just in case you don't want to come, uh, but this one here is more about the humility that she, out of her humility, didn't even tell her mother that she, because of her prayer, that this miracle occurred because she didn't want to get proud. That's the second one. From the prologue and the third one, are two little examples in the same um, reflection, I think it's called. A true Christian avoids the praise of men and not only avoids it, but has a true fear of it. So listen to that. A true Christian 
doesn't want to be praised by men, by people, but not only that, they truly fear it. Why, do we, why should we fear praise? Because it can lead us to be cut off from God. Blessed are those who feel that when they're praised, they feel a yuckiness, a horribleness, a loss of grace. When you feel that, that means, with God's help, that you have some sensitivity in the spiritual life. But there are those who get praised and don't feel anything and like it and don't have any problems with it. Those people have not entered spiritual life. A person who's leading a spiritual life does not want to be praised. We yearn for it. Sometimes we even do something for a person to praise us. But after we fall into that passion, we usually feel, oh, that was horrible, that was wrong what I did, I can't believe it, God forgive me, I lost, my, I lost grace, etc. Now, Saint Sava of Psop, how do you say that, Psop? Psop? Psop. Psop. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Saint Sava of left um, the position, his position as abbot, and the monastery itself and the good brotherhood of the monastery fleeing to an isolated place to escape the praise of men. This saint was, a, was an abbot and he left his position as abbot. He left the brotherhood and he ran away and went to a place because uh, they were praising him. And St Nicholai says, For the love of praise robs our hearts. What does it mean? What does he mean, robs our hearts? Robs our hearts of what? It robs our hearts of God's grace. When we're praised and we accept the praise or when we show off, we lose God's grace. Uh, that's one example. A devout prince, upon hearing of the ascesis, the, the ascetical life of St Moses the Black, took his entourage into the desert to see him. So this prince heard that this that Saint Black Saint Moses the Black, the, I think is the I think he was Ethiopian. Saint Moses the Black um, was a holy person. So the prince took his all the people that helped him with his entourage, like Oprah has come with her entourage. Entourage are those who help her, all her servants and helpers and all her administrators, etc. Well, that's how the... Pri oh, I forgot, they're both royalty anyway. But So we got the devout prince. So he came with his entourage into the desert to see him. Moses learned, St Moses learned, that the prince was coming to his monastery and quickly ran to hide somewhere. But he unexpectedly encountered the high-ranking visitors. Where is the cell of Ava Moses, of Elder Moses? The servants of the prince asked, not suspecting that this was Moses himself. Moses opened his mouth and said, Why do you want him for? What do you want him for? He is an ignorant old man, very untruthful and completely impure in life. Hearing this, the visitors were astonished but continued on. When they arrived at his cell, they asked for the elder, but the monk said he was not there. The visitors told them that the, some monk that they met on the road had said um, what, they, what that monk said. The monks were dismayed, were upset and asked them, What did this old man look like? The visitors answered that he was very dark-skinned, tall and dressed miserably, like in rags. And the monks cried out loudly, but that was um, Elder Moses himself. 
This incident was of great spiritual benefit to the prince. He returned home rejoicing. So he didn't even get to see the elder, but he just learnt that example of the disdain that the uh, saint had for praise and glory. He didn't want it, that he ran away. And those words, probably say, oh, he just made those words up. Those words he means. And that gave him spiritual benefit. In the Byzantine tradition, if I remember correctly, when someone would become emperor, they would also give him, I, th- I hope I'm remembering right, a bag of dirt at the time of his coronation, is what's called, that he became the emperor of the Byzantine Empire in Constantinople there. He was given a bag of sand, and the reason that he was given the bag of sand was to remind him that he's just dirt. He's going to die one day and become dirt, and not to take on himself this position that is great, to remember to be humble. Yes, he is the king, but he's still a human being, and he's going to one day die and give word. So it was a way to help him to be humble. Number five, from the life of a desert father, Blessed Benjamin, in the Egyptian skeet, where the greatest of holy monks lived, in Egypt that is, there lived the Blessed Benjamin. For his virtuous life, God granted him the gift of healing. Having this gift, he himself submitted to a burdensome and lengthy illness of, of dropsy which I, from what I looked up, it's a fluid retention, so they become really uh, fat. He became, is that correct? Is that, do you know what dropsy is? Is that what it is? Dropsy, yeah, fluid retention. He became so heavy and large that they had to take him to a more spacious cell, to another room, because the room that he had wasn't big enough. In his new cell, sorry, to do that, they had to remove the doors and the door jams. That's the, the frame around the door and the door because he was so fat that they couldn't. He was holy, but fat. Maybe there's a chance for me as well. <laughs> so he became so heavy and large that they had to take him to a more spacious cell. To do that, you said they removed that. In his new cell, a special seat was made for him because he could not lie on a bed. Look, I want to. I want to. I made a bit of a joke there, but you have to understand. I'm not going to excuse myself. I'm not going to say my reasons. Just if you want to think I eat Big Macs all day, that's good for me. Good for my humility. But in general, there are women who have polycystic ovaries, very fat. There are people that have fluid retention. There are people that have insulin resistance, and all these. There's so many sicknesses which exist where people are actually quite fat. Not all people that are fat are that way because they eat a lot. Elder Leonard of Optina was very fat. I've met in my times, I've gone to many monasteries in, in Greece, for example, and different places, and there's some, there were some holy abbesses and holy abbots and monks and things, and some of them were, like usually they're thin, but there were some that were really, really large. Now, there was one, the abbot of St. Sava Monastery, which is in the desert. He was a man of prayer and he was a man of fasting. He fasted. And they really, in Saint, this is in the, in the desert in Palestine. He was quite large, but there's no way that that was because of his eating. He actually, he was doing prostrations and he was far. He lived to over 100, but the point is 
that we must be careful not to judge because we're not sure whether someone is, well, even if someone is overeating, what's it your business anyway? What's it our business if the person's overeating? Most people today are fat because of obesity, but there are people that are truly sick. So this person, here's an example. This person was holy and he had uh, the gift of healing and he was so large that they had to remove him from the room, take the door jams off, etc. In his new cell, a special seat was made for him because he could not lie on a bed. In, in this position, the alien monk, the holy monk, continued to heal others. And those who saw his suffering had sympathy for him. They felt sorry for him. He taught them that they should pray for his soul and not be concerned about his body. For when my body, he said, is well, then I do not have much benefit from it. When my body is healthy, he says, I don't have benefit. Now, enduring an illness, it does not bring me any harm. In other words, what the Holy, what St. Ignatius Branchinoff is trying to say here is that to protect him from pride, God gave him the gift, but at the same time gave him a horrible sickness to protect him. But from what? To, to protect him from? A bit louder. That's it, that's nice. The holy apostles who were granted many gifts, including miracle working, to accompany their preaching were allowed by the providence of God to bear heavy sorrows and persecutions with the aim of keeping them from pride. The holy apostles were given all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including miracle working. And as we heard in the previous talks, why did God give them those miracles? So, so that they can convert the pagans who were so far away from God. So when they would preach, at the same time they would do miracles and the miracles confirmed the truth of their preaching for some. Some converted just with the preaching. They were better off. We read that, we heard that, I think, even last week in the week, the last month, the month before. But in general, the apostles, because they were given these gifts, by God's providence, they had to bear heavy sorrows and persecutions, horrible persecutions, which we're going to hear more about in a few minutes. And why? With the aim of keeping them from pride. Now, one fantastic example, if I use that word rightly, is St. Paul. So as to protect the Holy Apostle Paul from pride, because St. Paul was so great, he converted so many people, and as we're going to read soon, he saw visions and things like that. He had so many gifts. It says, so as to protect the Holy Apostle Paul from pride, God allowed him to suffer, quote, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me or to torment, in other words. Buffet means torment. He prayed to God three times asking that this messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh, um, who obstructed him in the preaching of Christianity, would be taken away. See, St. Paul said this suffering that God allowed him to have was obstructing him of being able to do his job. The Apostle Paul's prayer was unanswered because the judgment of God on this matter was different to that of the God-inspired Apostle. St. Paul thought, if this suffering is taken away from me, then I'll be able to do God's work 
better, more efficiently. But God did not take away that suffering and said, no, you will have that suffering. Let's read the exact thing. It says, it is doubt. This is what it says now in the, um, in the epistle. This is St. Paul speaking. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. He's speaking about himself, but he's pretending that he's saying that it's someone else. But he's talking about himself. He says, I don't know whether I was taken to heaven in the body or out of my body. I don't know. All I know is I went there and I saw and heard things which are you can't even speak about. I, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities, in my sufferings, in my sicknesses. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. He goes, I can boast because I did see these things, but I'm not going to boast. I don't want anyone to think of me as something more than what I am. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, in other words, to keep me from becoming proud, because of these surpassingly great revelations, visions, all these things that he saw and experienced, a thorn in the flesh, St. Paul says, was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to torment me. And he goes on again, he says it, lest I be exalted above measure. In other words, to keep me from becoming proud to keep me from becoming conceited. St. Paul says it straight out, that he needed sufferings to protect him because of all the gifts that he had. When you hear about all these miracle workers, whether in Africa there's some gurus over there, in India, others over there that say that they heal in America, faith healers, they're, they're, they're everywhere. See, I've been thinking, should I actually... I wanted to go through some of the chapters that are in Father Seraphim Rose's Charismatics, UFOs, all these things that Father Seraphim explains. Maybe I will do that in the future because I promised our resident doctor that we are going to be doing next January. We're going to start the talk on prayer. But I thought to myself, really... Why go on anymore after hearing all these talks? You, a person who's listened to these talks, concentrated, studied the, the books that I told them to study, and you should read the UF, the, all those books by Father Seraphim as well, there's no need to actually go on and say, okay, um, how do you explain a person who says, I do miracles, and he and he's, looks like he's quite happy doing it? Well, we don't have to go through the whole analysis of it. It's here. It says it here. St. Paul had sufferings to protect him. Who do these people have? Well, what do these people have? Do they ask for sufferings? They actually preach the opposite. 
They, yes, I actually was speaking to um, uh, a woman on the phone, on what you're saying, who suffers from a mental illness, which a mental illness to me is a martyrdom, and I told her that. And she said to me that, you know, these born-agains, these Hillsong people, all these people, that they say that health, and health is very important, money to be, to, to be successful, is the, and to also that there's no reason why God cannot give everyone healing. And then they say that they're Christians, but yet what happens to St. Paul? And what happens to all the saints who, who wanted to be sick? As you said beautifully, that it is the complete opposite. In other words, those people are completely uh, cut off from the message of the gospel. He who lives in Christ Jesus, I think St. Paul says, suffereth. And Christ himself says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? That we take a wooden cross? No, it means we take the cross of sufferings. Take up your cross and follow me. You follow, we follow Christ while carrying our cross. And the cross is what? Sufferings. These people preach and say, God wants all of you to be healed. See, you never hear Benny Hill or Benny Hinn, whatever his name is there, saying, sometimes it's a gift from God to have a sickness. It's good for him. He never says that. He says, I'm going to do miracles today while he stands with his white suit. And the white does not represent purity. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, St. Paul says that Christ said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's such a wonderful thing, that when we are weak, then we are strong. See, all the saints had problems, had weaknesses, had sicknesses, etc., persecutions, and that was all weaknesses. But when they were weak, they would ask God for help in a state of humility. When we ask God, when we've been humbled in humility for something, for his strength, for his grace, we, we receive it abundantly because God can only give his grace to those who are humble. And what makes us humble? Sicknesses, afflictions, sufferings, mental problems, all these things. Wars. You know, you might say, oh, the Second World War was so horrible and this, etc. Yeah, it was horrible. But how many people were saved through that war? And hence, we look at it and say it's, it's bad, but with our carnal minds, with our unspiritual minds, we look at it as bad, but the way God looks at it is different to us because war is humbling to lose your family. And remember that the war... When we think of Second World War, we shouldn't just focus on the Holocaust and the Jewish and the six million. And the, that's not the war. That's just one part of it. There's too much emphasis on that. How many millions of Slavs were also gassed, etc., and killed? Remember that the Germans considered the, the Jews as being the lowest and the Slavs have been just a little notch higher. They didn't even recognise them. 
And not only that, homosexuals were taken to the um, concentration camps. They were, they were gassed and killed, etc. Burnt. Political prisoners. Gypsies. Millions died. But, go back to the war. War brings humility. And humility brings grace. And grace brings God's mercy and salvation. Now, exactly who saved, who's not, that's not my business. We will see, on the, we will see at the end when we all will stand in front of Christ, when we all get judged, we will be surprised who will be there and whether we will be there or, be, or we'll be sent away. It's up to us. Um, there, therefore, I take pleasure in, in infirmities in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that a um, wonderful teaching that that St. Paul says? And the Orthodox Study Bible actually says that St. Paul sees his thorn in the flesh as given to him precisely so that he might not fall into pride. And what was this thorn? Now, they say, the study Bible says, perhaps a chronic physical problem, perhaps that that he suffered from um, deluded Christian leaders, that he was suffering because they just, they weren't doing the right thing, like other bishops or or other Christian leaders. Or he thought, they might say, maybe he was suffering from the hard-hearted Jews that were persecuting him because he used to be once a Jew, then he became Christian, and so he had a lot of trouble with them. He was persecuted by pagans as well because they thought he was going against their gods nevertheless for saint paul his weakness not his mystical experiences is the means of the power of christ remaining in him now some say it was a stomach problem some say demonic something whatever it was it was difficult for him and it was it was causing him trouble to do his work but through that weakness his work was even more rich. See, some people say to me, oh, if I was healthy, I could do much more. I could do much more. And I say, well, actually, enduring a sickness or an affliction is actually above, St. Nicodemus, the Athenite, Aguriti says, that it's above just about any other work that we can do. It's so pleasing to God to endure sicknesses, sorrows, afflictions, whatever, for his sake. It's far superior than other works because the other works can make us fall into pride. While the sicknesses and afflictions helps us, it humbles us. Look what St. Paul's sufferings were. In prisons, he says, more frequently, constantly put in prison, in danger of death often, very close to being killed. From Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. He was whipped um, five times. He was whipped 39 times. Three, like, 39 whips. Three, I don't know what, why it's 39, but that's probably how it was then. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's separate to the whipping. With the... Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in the sea. 
in journeys often travelling, which is dangerous, because you, know, you could be attacked by um, thieves and robbers and things, in perils of waters. The Greek, I didn't understand what that meant, looked up the Greek, it meant that during the time when the rivers would defrost, there'll be like the water would be running and it would be very hard for them to cross. Never had bridges, a lot of them. So you had to cross through rivers to get to the other side, to go to places. And that was very dangerous because you could be swept away. In perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, meaning the Jews, in peril of the Gentiles, meaning the pagans, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, Christians who were, who were false, in, we in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, apart from all those things, he says he also suffered because of his, his concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Which Christian, in other words, when he says who is weak and I'm not weak, which Christian is sick? This is the interpretation. Which Christian is sick and I'm not sick and suffer also? So when someone was sick or suffering, he would suffer with them. Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Like if someone falls, he would suffer as well. I think that's what it means and I couldn't find a good interpretation there. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, now he gives even an example. In Damascus, the governor, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascus with guards everywhere because they wanted to capture him. They wanted to arrest me. But I was led down in a basket through a window in the wall of the city and escaped from his hands. What does he mean by that? It means this great apostle this enlightener, this person to escape from being captured had to be lowered down in a basket hiding so that he can escape. You have to understand the humility there. And St. Athanasius the Great had to hide in a well. And other great saints, the humiliation that they went through. Why? Because of the gifts that they had. Spiritual gifts that are not glorified by the world. As we heard tonight, we say spiritual gifts such as healing are glorified by the carnally minded. In other words, those who are not spiritual. However, unseen blessed gifts are far greater than ones seen. Which ones are these unseen blessed gifts? The world loves healing clairvoyance and all these, all these astounding things, but there are gifts which are far greater, more important. And what are those gifts? Such as leading souls to salvation and to heal them from the passions. These gifts are not understood or seen by worldly people and carnally-minded Christians. Carnally-minded, unspiritual in other words, Christians, worldly people, they don't Look up to a priest or a monk or a nun who's guiding people to combat their passions, who are leading them to salvation. That, for them, is not important. 
Now, you might say the Optina elders were great and everyone in Russia used to run to them. Bishops used to persecute the Optina elders. They were misunderstood. They were called names. They were called name worshippers because they used to believe in the Jesus prayer. They used to teach that people used to open up their thoughts and the Russians in that time didn't understand that. Just like St. Paisos Velichovsky was was also persecuted because he was teaching the true spiritual life, spiritual guidance. St. Nicodemus the Athenite was persecuted as well because he did the same thing, was teaching the inner life, how to combat the passions. And priests today who especially priests who are dealing with that, are not, um, are not glorified by the world. The world doesn't like them. And hence, we see why we have not many people. See, because when we speak about passions and pride and vainglory and jealousy and, and not to wear pants and don't wear makeup. And these things are important because we have to know what, what does God want, what he doesn't want, what's important for our salvation. People don't want to hear that. People want to hear that you know their name or that you can heal them or that you can tell them the future. Something of those type of things, spectacular things. The world does not glorify the servants of God who have these gifts but persecutes them. The demons use carnal people. The demons use, in other words, the unspiritual people, or let's talk about orthodox people, to persecute the servants of God because they expose their works and plans. What does that mean? A priest who exposes the works, the plans, the tricks of the demons, a priest or a nun or a monk or whatever, who helps people in their struggle of the passions or etc., or just help people to lead them to salvation, the demons use carnal people to persecute those people, to hate them. to despise them, to slander them. One person came here quite a few months ago, I heard, and they, they sat through the whole talk. I was quite amazed that they sat there. And at the end they said to someone, I can't even look at him about me. Right? And I was not really offended it was interesting because that person is not at the stage where they're seeking salvation. If they were seeking salvation, they would understand what I'm trying to say. If you're not seeking salvation, then if you come in because it's interesting, maybe you'll last a little bit. If you come in for the food, you might last a little bit. But after a while, the food, you just say, stuff the food, I'm not coming anymore. Why go to the talk and listen to him talk about my passions? I just go to McDonald's. The point there is that people do not like passions to be exposed and that's why they dislike. And straight after that, that person actually said that she really, she really looks up to her daughter, 
who's around 15, say 16, if she wears short dresses and wears makeup, because that means that my daughter's social. That's calmly minded to the highest level. Father, yes. Just an example. Um, a few years ago, um, a priest from overseas came to Australia, and he was reading people for sicknesses and things like that. And he actually said at the end, he goes, he was a bit disappointed. He said everyone came to him that had physical illnesses, but no one asked for prayers for spiritual illnesses. I'll repeat that just in case it's not clear. A priest from Greece came and he noted that everyone came to him for sicknesses, whether mental, physical, demonic, but no one came to him for spiritual ailments, for the passions, etc. That's it. The all-merciful God grants that which is necessary and useful, although people do not understand or value it. God does not grant gifts that are of little use and often may be quite harmful. Now, we've spoken about gifts such as healing, clairvoyance, etc., which are high gifts, but I want to talk about gifts which are everyday gifts for people of today. Some examples of spiritual gifts that are not glorified by the world are childbearing and the upbringing of children. Today, it's, it, there is disgust from the feminist movement, believe it or not, for a woman to want to have children, or if they have just maybe one, two at the most. They don't like it. They're the ones that head the abortion clinics. And it's a well-known fact that when you go to these clinics, you should be given supposedly the option and say this is one option, this is the other option, which is wrong for Orthodox Christians. There's only one option. But anyway, but what they do is they... They, they have a mania, an obsession, these abortionists, where they want the woman to choose the option of abortion. It's like you say to yourself, how come they have such a hate towards childbearing? Because it's from God. The upbringing of children today, no one looks at that. No one actually, sorry, for a woman to be able to have children in these times and, you know, have children, have a couple, have, have more than a few, it's actually a gift from God. It's a secret gift. No one looks at it as a gift. A woman to be able to do that has to be given the grace from God. And to some extent, you might say, how about the Muslims? Well, they're leading what's called the natural law. The natural law. They don't have the truth like the Orthodox do. But we already have heard in the previous talks that God has given to everyone what's called the natural law. Which is, it's his commandments in everyone's heart. And one of the commandments is that for childbearing. So therefore, this is a gift now, the upbringing of children for, for a couple, or if the person's only by themselves, whatever, for a person to bring up their children in a Christian way, to focus on their children, not to give them to the preschool, or to the childcare to take care of, 
and not to give them to the schools to take care of because that's not their responsibility. God does not give the responsibility to them. God has given the responsibility to those who had the children. It's their responsibility. And for someone to focus on the upbringing of children in these days, because it's such, it's really, you know, women especially, you don't focus on the upbringing of children, careers, your face, your hair, your backside, your breasts. Oh, those breasts. They're just, that the whole world has become focused on the breasts and operations and what do they put in there, jellies or something, and all these things that they do for the breasts. Those poor worms at the end, they're going to not know what's breast and what's plasticine or whatever they're putting in there. What are they putting in there? Jellies or something. Are the silicon. So we might have to put a sign on the graves. Worms beware. Silicon. <laughs> There's silicon. So don't, don't break your choppers on the wrong part. <laughs> so that's it. We're giving the worms a very difficult time these, these days. They don't know what's what. But at the end, everyone's going to be eaten. Except that in most graves, there are going to be these two silicon sacks. <laughs> So, a little bit of a joke is good, isn't it? It breaks the monotony and it also points to the stupidity. Those who choose to homeschool because they want to protect their children, oh, what they go through. And your children aren't going to be social and your children aren't going to learn and your children this and your children that. They go through a lot, from, even from their own families, etc. To homeschool their to homeschool children today needs a gift from God. You need grace. How else can it be done? I know many people who started to homeschool. After a few years, they took them to the schools, knowing that their children are going to learn about uh, gay marriages and couples and same-sex couples and that the fact that they're reading little children books on the two mummies and the two daddies and the two doggies and I don't know what else they're reading there. Virginity. Virginity is another problem. Uh, the word has just about been extinguished from the vocab. People don't even know. Young people look at virginity as negative. So for a young person to keep their virginity for marriage needs, it's a gift from God. Obedience. Obedience to parents, obedience to the church, obedience to teachers, if you go to school for example, or obedience to the law, obedience to your spouse, to your wife, to your husband, etc. Obedience, that's just about going. Obedience means that you're stupid. That's what they, people of the world say. Obedience means that you're stupid because you're doing what other people are telling you. So to be obedient today, for a woman to be obedient to a husband, for a child to be obedient to, the, to their parents, etc., etc. And when we say obedient, the woman to be obedient to the husband, we mean when the husband has love for the wife. We've said all this before in the previous talks. I don't mean some, some um, man who's like horrible and doesn't care for his wife. Faith, to have faith, like I said today, for a person to say, if a, if a person from the world hears someone say, well, if it's God's will for my child to live, then whatever's God will. 
And people would say, you stupid person. How can you say such a thing? That's not right. You should do whatever you can to, um, for your child to get better, etc., etc. But I have. I've gone to doctors. I've gone here. But at the end, it's up to God's will. No, you don't speak like that. Honesty. Well, honesty is another word which is just about gone. Humility. Oh, that's, that's a word which is equivalent to swearing today. When you say to someone, humility, it's like they're saying, how dare you swear at me? That is the, that's the most off thing. Today's pride, to be proud, to talk about when you've got to do your reviews at work, some of you, you have to put down how great you are. Uh, Self-condemnation. Again, only a moron, they would say, would, would condemn themselves. You don't condemn yourself. You speak highly of yourself. I'm good. I'm beautiful. Even though everyone knows that you're ugly, you still say, I'm beautiful. <laughs> but that's, I mean, some people, look, we have to understand, some people, the only, I read, only around 10% of the population have what we call beautiful looks and a beautiful body. Like a, one say that a body which is in proportion. The rest of the 90% were all out of proportion, right? <laughs> Noses, heads, this, ears, bodies, etc. Everyone's out of proportion. Now, of course, there's that other 90% are running to the plastic surgeons to try and make their body into proportion, dying in the process and becoming poor or disfigured. Michael Jackson's a good example of that. And some other people, if you watch the news. But self-condemnation means for us to acknowledge our weaknesses. The world says you don't acknowledge your weakness, you acknowledge your strength. But a person to be able to acknowledge his weakness is a humble person, is a great person. And a person who can't admit their faults is repulsive. And what's the reason for many divorces today? Most of the time it's they oh, she couldn't admit, she never admitted her fault, or he never admitted his fault. They never said that, that one person couldn't say sorry or the other person couldn't say sorry. All catastrophes today. Why? Because they haven't got that gift, the gift of self-condemnation. Self-condemnation doesn't mean like a depressed person who says, oh, I'm, I'm the worst, I'm the, and depressed and and have inclinations towards harming themselves. No. Self-condemnation means I am bad or I'm this or I'm that, but I trust in God's mercy to forgive me and to save me. That's self-condemnation together with trusting God's mercy. We did that in Talk 31. Fighting with one's passions. We have the people, the, porno the ones who are addicted to pornography, the ones who are addicted to drugs, the ones who are addicted to sex, the ones who are addicted to gambling, etc., those things maybe when it gets really bad. But in general, the world does not talk about struggling with your passions. For one to struggle with their passions, that's a gift from God. See all these gifts? Not healing, not some type of special miracle of boats lifting up in the air while tidal waves pass under them. That's not the important thing. Something out of the ordinary. These are the gifts. These are important gifts which are for everyone. Enduring afflictions for Christ's sake. People don't want to endure afflictions. Either they try and get rid of the affliction or they, they, they harm themselves. 
They commit suicide or something because they can't endure the affliction. But Orthodox Christians who endure afflictions, that's a gift from God. Taking care of a sick spouse or a child or a sibling. And you hear people say, you don't do that because you're going to waste your life. You don't, you know, you just, if someone's sick, put them in a home. You've got your life to do. You're still young or this or that. And you've got to go, so it's really not looked at as really positive for someone, especially if they're young, to sacrifice their life for someone else. No greater love has someone than to lay down their life for another, Christ says. I remember a young fellow once, he was um, taking care of someone old. And the person was young, I don't know, 17 maybe, and he was taking care of a, very, of a sick person. Now, this person was quite sick, but how many years that person was going to live was unknown. Maybe one year, two years, three years, four years, five years. But the person took care of that, a young person, a person who could have been going out, discos or going out with a girlfriend, because that's the way it is today in the world, or going out um, to the cinema or whatever. But this person was pretty much tied down to this sick, but might have been, might have been his grandmother, might have been someone there who he was taken care of. But the, but the thing is that um, he didn't say, how long is this going to be? He didn't say anything like that, but he took care of this sick person. Anyway, the person finally died. However, it's funny that that person said to me later on, they said, you know, in all my life, you know, whatever... I did as a worldly person and, and what I did later on as a spiritual person, the most grace that I ever felt was when I was taking care of that sick person for those couple of years. And even though that person could not even go out hardly anywhere, not even to church a lot of times, because the person was really sick. See? But the world would say, a young person, 18 or whatever, how old the person was, taking care of an old person you don't do that you've got to go out and have life and happiness but the point is today a lot of teenagers have got life and they're doing everything everything then why do we have one of the highest suicide rates in 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 the world especially here in new south wales they're doing everything maybe because that's not the answer so that's not that's looked down at for someone to take care of someone sick it's difficult, but it's a gift from God. See, that's a spiritual gift, not glorified by the world. Keeping a child. So you're pregnant, woman gets pregnant, and maybe they've got too many children, or maybe she wants to go and study, or maybe they want to go on a trip, or maybe there's not going to be enough room in the car, um, or maybe it's just going to be too expensive, or maybe some idiot doctor said, oh, your child might have uh, down, down syndrome or something. Is that what I say? Down syndrome? Or might have um, some other problems. Or why don't we do some genetic testing and see what kind of diseases your child's going to have? So they're doing all these tests now. You know, oh, your, child, um, oh, your child's got a high chance of having blood pressure. Really? Blood? Okay, abort it. I'll get another one. You know, and then say, oh, this one's going to have maybe some diabetes. Really? Abort that one. That's how it's become ridiculous. There's one person here that told me that their mother was told, because she was old, 
fact, when she got pregnant, the doctor said, look, your child's going to have Down syndrome. And she said, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to have the child. The child was normal. See? The guru doctors got it wrong. But even if they're right, if God has given you a child which is sick, it must mean that this is for you. Now, you might say, but taking care of a sick child means that I will be fully dedicated to that child. Yes, but it means that you will be saved because that's what God chose for you. When we get rid of the cross that God's given us, then God gives us another cross which is unbearable. So let's just say the cross of having a sick child is a certain heaviness. It's really hard to carry that cross. And the person says, I don't want that cross, and throw it away. What happens then? That God gives that person a cross which will be much, much heavier. And a lot of times, if those people don't repent, then that cross will crush them and take them to hell. And that's what I tell women that have, say, got difficult husbands or husbands that have got difficult women. And I say to them, look, this is your cross. Not if they're bashed and they're really dangerous. Just say, like, you've got a, a wife that's a pest and just yaps all day. You've got a husband that's lazy, like a lazy slob and just sits all day and doesn't do anything. That's a cross. Looking at a person like that, obviously, it's repulsive. Then the person says, oh, I want to divorce them. You can. It's free, Australia. It's very easy. Click, click, it's finished. However, you're thrown away your cross and then God will give you another one which will be far heavier and I tell you, you won't be able to pick it up. So some people, these people who, who do testing, they've got around five or six um, eggs, what do you call it, conceived eggs or something? So they're there. The doctor says this one's a healthy one and these four are not. So they, can, they pick that one and they have a healthy child. They have a healthy child. But later on, the child develops a mental illness, depression. When those parents become old, he just boots them to the nursing home, etc., etc. The same with the abortions, when people have abortions. They could be aborting the child who God had given them to take care of them in their old age. They abort it, they get rid of the child, the other children throw them in the nursing homes. How many parents suffer because their kids don't even, even go and give them a, like a glass of water? So all these things are heavier crosses. And remember that a child that's born with Down syndrome or a child which is born with any defects, even if it's a mental illness, they're still, when they're baptised, those people will be saved. They're automatically saved because they're already going through their hell on earth. They're saved, they're souls. When a baby or a person dies, which is say has got Down syndrome, which is, you know, which is not, a, which is which is horrible to, one can say one if you look at it in a in a human way, it's 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 not a nice thing, even to look at it, it's very hard. But when that person dies and that soul comes out, that soul is not with Down syndrome. The actual soul is perfectly what we say if, if they're safe, well they are safe, if they're baptised etc, that person is completely different they're normal if we can use that word and so who are we to get rid of them um, 
So don't look at those birth defects and these things that are going around. You know, we've got, sorry for the expression, but there's internet websites where people go and say what type of child they want. They want a blonde child, they want an intelligent or a musical child, etc. And they order sperm from, I think they're in America, they're into that. And they bring over the sperm here and women con uh, conceive, uh, cause a conception themselves. With what, what is that? And then the child grows up saying, who's, who's my father? Selfishness, stupidity, unacceptable. Demonic. Now, don't judge those who are outside the church, St. Paul says. When I refer to those, I'm referring to if Orthodox Christians do it. Sacrificing one's talent for the sake of one's salvation. That's a wonderful one. In other words, your children could have a certain talent or you yourself could have a certain talent. But you sacrifice that because you're scared that you might fall into pride. If you fall into pride, you lose your soul. So, for example, one of the Optina elders, Elder Nectarius, Nectari, I think they say in Russian, he, he sang once in the monastery or there, and the monks were so amazed at how beautifully he sang. And then he was scared that he would fall into pride, and plus they're going to ask him to sing. So when he sang again, he was singing like all over the place. So he sang on purpose wrongly, but he was talented. But he didn't want to use it. Why? Because he was scared of pride. Now we're going to get to some topics which people aren't going to like, which we're going to come to in a, in a minute about these talents and things. Women not wearing makeup or pants. Oh, for a woman, for a woman not to wear pants that wants to wear it. There are women who don't wear them because they know that people would laugh at them. But I'm talking about women who can wear pants and don't wear pants because they know it's God's commands, they won't do it, or makeup, etc. That's a gift from God. You need grace to do that. Women say to me, oh, how am I going to go to work if I don't dye my hair? It's of grey hair everywhere. I said, but when you read a lot of the fathers, they actually forbid that, and plus it's unhealthy anyway because you're putting all chemicals into your body. That's why they, they say to women, don't dye your hair when you're pregnant. Why? Why aren't you allowed to dye hair to pregnant? Because you could damage the fetus. Though therefore, the baby. So therefore, that there is absorption. They say, oh, you know, if I don't wear makeup, then I might lose my job. Hmm, okay. You might lose your job. So if you lose your job, then you're like one of the saints that, because they kept the commandments, they actually were persecuted, they lost out, but then God gave them a hundredfold. You see? That's the faith. So if you lose your job because you don't look like Ronald McDonald at the reception desk full of makeup, then that's faith. That you are saying, I want to do God's commandments. See, this is what orthodoxy is about. Making sacrifices. I know people who said, I'm not going to do certain things that my boss wants me to do because it's against the commandments. Like, for example, doctors. A doctor, an orthodox doctor, can never sign off on an abortion. A pharmacist, for example. How can a person give to women over the counter 
the um, abortion pill, the RU486, if I'm correct, or something like that. It's, that's an automatic abortion pill. See? And there are people, we hear, Catholic usually, Catholic, maybe Protestant, pharmacists, doctors, who say, I refuse to give that pill. I refuse to sign off on an abortion, etc., etc. We don't hear many Orthodox, if at all, but we do hear these from these people. Well, I think God will bless in certain ways. If they don't know that their faith has got errors, but they're doing that because that's God's commandments from their heart, then we'll be surprised at the last judgment. Not to dispense the pill or the abortion pill? Well, I don't, I thought, I don't mm. know. It was something to do with Yeah. And they said if they wanted, they just go to a, a, somewhere else. But they're, they're specifically not doing it. And there's more but, popping around. But no orthodox no, ones. But only, only um, Catholics. And then we say, oh, the Catholics, and they're going to go to hell because they've got, they've got error. You know, everyone who knows the truth and doesn't come to it goes to hell. That's what the fathers say. If they don't know that orthodox is the truth, but they're leading their life in their own way, then that's their business. However, we will be condemned when we see others who are not in the orthodox faith and don't have the fullness of the grace that is available to us and the teachings, and we don't hear much about that. So today, for a woman to not wear pants and to not wear makeup and the diner, etc., needs the grace of God. And that, to me, is a martyrdom today to go out without, with, with not having painted faces and, and hair and things like that. And, and it is very rare. Saint Cosmas, the Greek saint, he actually used to say to the Christians in those times, whoever promises not to speak Albanian, because the Greeks were speaking Albanian, because don't speak Albanian, speak Greek only. Or whoever promises to grow their beard in those days to the men, because the men were shaving, which was Western, um, and other things along those lines, he would say, I'll take on half of your sins. See, that's the authority that he had. I don't have that authority to say if a woman promises not to wear pants or makeup or things or dye her hair anymore, that I'll take half of their sins, because I haven't even got rid of my own. So, but what I can say is, if a person promises to do that, if a person promises and says, I want to do that, then I will promise to say, well, you come and tell me secretly and I will have you commemorated for one year every day in the liturgy. Um, I will make sure that you are commemorated every day in your family for one year. And that is the, one of the greatest things to be commemorated in the liturgy. So that's that what, what I'm saying. If a, per, if a woman does say that, come up and, and, and speak to me um, privately or ring me up. And you make the promise and God will give you... I, you see, we don't understand that when we do the commandments and we lose out, when, and we lose out once in a human way, in a worldly way, we receive it. I'll give a little example. I don't like saying these examples of myself, but... Just to help you, but I don't like to to make out that I don't that I'm talking out from my mouth and not really doing what I 
side. When I was teaching, I think I've said this story before, I was at a school and I was doing some casual then. And they wanted me to show a film to Year 7, like, a, like on the health. They said, oh, can you, I'm a maths teacher, but they said, you know, when you do casual, you can take any class. And they said, I oh, can just take this Year 7 class for personal development health. And it was a film on masturbation. And as soon as I saw what it was about, I turned it off. So then I went down to the person who gave me the class. I said, look, I couldn't really show that because it's against what I believe. He goes, oh, that's okay, that's okay. Anyway, so um, they, when I went there again, they, um, I don't know if they did it on purpose or they did an accident. I had another PD class, a different class, the same, the same video again. So I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't show it. So I went down to the person again. I said, I didn't show it. I didn't get called again. See, I was going to that school for a long time. The other schools forgot about me. See, when you're doing casual, depends on the schools when, when they ring you. So they stopped ringing me and they forgot about me. So basically, I was left with no job, which is difficult. So, no money, as they say, no honey. So, because I didn't want to show the disgusting little films there, they, they basically um, said to the person at the desk, look, don't ring him anymore. He's a troublemaker. Okay, so that was it. After that was in 1989, I think. Anyway, after that, I, you know, I went with a few weeks with no honey, as they say. And then later on, I, um, it was difficult, but I didn't regret. That's it. I didn't regret what I did because I'm not going to show the film for just so I can have a job or, or dispense abortion tablets for your type of job or to dye your hair just to have a job and do all these other things that are against God's commandments just so we can have a job or whatever, whatever. There's certain things we can do, certain things we can't do. Anyway, so uh, later on, I got a better job for one year, a really um, good school. It was the best year that I had was my last year. So I didn't really lose. I lost a bit of money. That's the same. When you're doing God's commandments, you lose. Yes. But later on, God will bless. I bless with one hand. God blesses with two hands. And you receive much more than what you think. Whoever sacrifices to do God's commandments, God gives them greater things than that, what they can expect. Now we go to natural gifts. The other ones were spiritual gifts. Even those people who have children, etc., all those things that I read. Now let's go to the natural gifts. There are people who are born with natural gifts. They are good singers, musicians, actors, artists, athletes, sports people, intellectuals, like people who are really bright, good-looking people, others who are talented in different ways. And we see on those young, the young talent time back in the old days and children used to go on there and sing and dance and things like that. That's why it was called the Young Talent Time, because they were talented. Australia's, uh, America's got talent and dancing competitions and models, you know, these models and shows and things like that. Then there's got this new X Factor now. All these people, no doubt, are, except for the ones that are tryhards and they go and people laugh at them, but there are the ones who make it further on. They're actually quite talented. These talented people, we often read, go off the rails. So if we see examples like Michael Jackson's, one of them lost himself completely. 
Now, this Charlie Sheen person who plays in this Two and a Half Men, he gets, I looked it up, close to $2 million per episode. He's the most highly paid person. He's very popular. The show's revolting. A lot of things about incest in there. But anyway, so he gets that much. The boy who's on there, he gets $1.2 million per season. I think he's one of the highest paid child actors. We know from the media that child actors go off, they go on drugs, you know, they have really bad lives, sexual all over the place, depression, mental illness, alcoholism, drug addictions, etc. This man, this Charlie man, I think he's an alcoholic with drugs and I think he's a sex addict as well. And yet, I say to this, that even though parents and people know this, they still want their children to go and do that. Now, some of you might say, are you saying that if you see your child has a gift, that we, uh, a gift, if we see our child has a gift, that we shouldn't push them? Uh, it depends on the child. It depends on how you've brought them up. Some children with that gift will destroy themselves. Ourselves with certain gifts can destroy ourselves. And we have to be careful uh, not to be the reason just because parents want their children to become famous like that uh, that guy from Canada, what's his name, Bieber, whatever his name is, the Justin fellow who his mother put on the internet and became famous. That guy's going to go off the rails. You can see it already. Yeah, I think I even read that he can't handle it. Sports people. I've met people that were very good at sports and something happened to them and they couldn't get that glory anymore. And then they had mental breakdowns. They went into psychosis. Oh, it's just, it's just like a quite difficult. Wes, people have talents, but not all the time should we use our talents if it's going to be for our destruction. For example, a person's a good singer. They say, well, I'm a good singer. Why don't I use my talent in church and go and sing on the choir? Yes, you can do that. But once you go on the choir, then you have to understand that you're taking on, it's, it's um, you're going to get, there's a possibility you can get proud. People come up to you later on and go, oh, you sing so beautiful. And if you haven't got the ability, which is hard even for the saints, but if you don't have that strength to be able to, to know this is a gift from God, this is not mine, and to be able to be humble, then you're better off not to do it. I'm going to give you, as the last example, something which some of you might get scandalised, but I was quite impressed. Now, this particular singer, I didn't know because I think he came about after my time. But I saw an interview with him on 60 Minutes, and I saw another interview with him just recently, because I think he's in Australia, I think, the Bon Jovi man, right? Now, it was interesting that he's been around for decades, and... Obviously, he's talented, but not in the sense that, I mean, obviously, he's not using his talent in a way that is appropriate, but that's between him and, and God. But the point is, he's talented. And the person who was interviewing him said, well, oh, you know, you've been around for so many decades and you're still, people come to your concerts and thousands of people and you're still popular, etc., etc." And he said, to our shame, he said, well, I was in the right place at the right time when I started. So he didn't say, 
because I'm great, that's why I'm here. He goes, I was in the right place at the right time. You come across some of these people. I don't even know if he's religious, that person. Now, I'm not going to praise actors. I'm not going to praise Bon Jovi. What I'm trying to say is I want to look at one aspect. We will give word that we who are orthodox and have the truth can't be humble. And we have these people in some ways, in their limited ways, have some humility. And this Bon Jovi fellow, from what I saw in the interview, actually said, he goes, well, I'm just, you know, um, fortunate that people still like me and all that type of stuff. Some along those lines. Some actually even say, oh, well, you know, some of the ones that have been around for years, they go, well, they use spiritual, they might say, oh, we're blessed that we can still go on and people are still interested and we can still make money, whatever. Worldliness, yes, but the point is that how can they show some humility and we can't? So let's go back to the other um, point here, is that sometimes certain talents are dangerous. And St John of the Ladder says... He who is proud of his natural advantages, and I'll tell you what that means, there are natural tendencies which are considered virtues, yet they are not, but really gifts and advantages of nature. Many people are naturally meek. There are some people who don't get angry. They don't get angry. You say whatever you want, they don't get angry. That's not spiritual. That's, they like that by nature. There are some people who are naturally gentle. There are some people who are naturally sober, like self-controlled. They've got self-control. There are some people who are courageous by nature. There are some people who are modest by nature. You see some women or men or whatever that are modest, but they're not spiritual. They're just, it's natural. Some people are silent. They don't speak much. And people say, oh, look, they're virtuous that they've got the gift from God. But that's, it, did, it says here, it is no virtue to be naturally a small eater, but it's a virtue to abstain voluntarily and by choice. Like the abbess said, when a monk or a nun dedicates their life, they say no to any sexual activities, let's just say. There are some monks or nuns who naturally are not inclined to that. They just don't have a disposition towards sexual things. They don't, they're not tempted. And she said to me, those people aren't rewarded. I mean, they've got it. Those who are rewarded are those who have the inclination and deny it and say, I'm not going to do it for Christ's sake. Just like a young person who's growing up. And they're inclined to, towards sexual things. But they say, no, I'm not going to do it because it's a commandment of God not to fall into those things until I'm married. And that person is rewarded by God because they are saying no to their natural urge, and that's an effort. They have to make an effort. But there are other young people who don't have any urges at all. That's not a gift. It's not a virtue. It's just natural. So St. John says of the latter, he who is proud in his natural advantages, I mean like intelligence, Ability to learn, the skill in reading, clear pronunciation, quick understanding, the quick, all such gifts received by us without labour, will never obtain the supernatural divine blessings. Those people who are proud of their natural abilities 
will never receive from God divine gifts because he who is unfaithful in little is also unfaithful and, un and vainglorious in much. That means if we have something that's worldly, something which is natural and we're becoming proud of it, then how are we going to receive from God a divine gift? We're going to become like beasts, like devils. So parents, unfortunately, they look at their kid's intelligence or look his learning or he knows how to count one to ten when he's two years old and some they even teach him with those videos how to read. They teach him babies how to read. If they sit in front of the video, there's some, some thing and they show, um, they show um, a picture and a word or something and the child says apple or something, what's really younger, apple. What stupidity is that? That's nothing. Virtue, humility, spirituality, that's what you should give your children. Yes, some children are gifted, they can jump up in the air. The circus is full of them. The Moscow Circus was here recently. All of them down there, what are they? Pious Orthodox Christians that are jumping around. Yeah, okay, they've got, some, they've got gifts. Some people can fit in a little box. They can contort, you know, they're contortionists. Some people can put a sword down their throat. Wow. That's really such a great thing. People have got gifts. They're sports gifts, they're singing gifts, but these gifts can lead to pride if a person does not cultivate humility. And sometimes it's better to let it go for some people because you can see they're going to go into abominable pride. Now, some people say, oh, that's just, you can't do that. When a child's got a gift, you push them all the way. If they're musical, you want them to become um, uh, like a f famous person to play the piano or something. If they're sports people, you, you know, you, um, you push them to become, to go into the Olympics. Yes, but at the end, if they lose their souls from pride, and, they, and what's the point then? What's, what have you done? And we know all these people, how many people have lost themselves? Sports people actors, singers, dancers, etc., etc., etc. That's faith. You need a gift from God to be able to sacrifice something of our own or something of our children so as to protect them. And if you've made a mistake, say God wants that person to develop that skill and you've made a mistake, then God won't condemn you for that, but he will bless it because you, you were careful for your child not to fall into the pride, and later on God will bless it in other ways in the future. That was a bit hard, wasn't it, those comments about the, um, the gifts? But just read and look at what's happening in, in the world. That's okay. Is it the doctor? The doctor, yeah. Um, he was writing uh, a book on wound healing. And he felt on like what healing? Wound healing. Wound healing, yeah. And he was like kind of a bit obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. And he felt guilty. Um, and he was praying all the time and asking God, you know, am I doing the right thing? And then he got an enlightenment to that. Yeah, he was a surgeon. He was a brilliant surgeon in communist Russia, correct? 
and then he became a priest and a bishop. But his love of surgery, he wanted to continue. But I think for a while he stopped, is that right? Because he wanted to dedicate his life to the spiritual. But then through praying and praying and praying, he, he felt that God was indicating to him to continue to do his surgery to help others, and he did to continue. But at one stage, he was very troubled of whether he should be doing it because he loved, he had a passion, one can say, for surgery to help people. He was a brilliant surgeon, and the communists couldn't believe that one of the best surgeons in their, in their country was an Orthodox bishop. That really killed them. But at the end, he felt guilty, as Helen said there, but he prayed and prayed and prayed, and then it was shown to him to continue to do it because he wasn't sure, is he, is he doing the surgeries for his own self or is he really doing it for the right reason? And God showed him and said, continue to do it. What was his name, Father? Uh, ble- uh, blessed, is it Saint? Saint Luke of? Bishop of some Russian name, which I can't ever repeat. But what we'll do is if I can get, if I can get the... Um, that book, if it's in English, does it exist? Yeah. I think that'll be a re- oh, I think I read it, yeah. That's an excellent book. That's another book, remind me, to try and get that book. Um, that's a really... And he would do his cross before the operation and the communists there would, would burn um, from... They just couldn't take it. That he, would have, he wanted an icon in the room when he would do operations. There's a brilliant surgeon in um, Greece. He's very, very good. And he would always pray, get a blessing from his spiritual father before he did the surgery. Very, very good. Um, so, you know, there are people who are gifted. There are people who have passion to do what they're doing. And they're doing it in the right way. There are others who are doing it for their own glory and they, can, they lose themselves. So that's why it's dangerous. We all have talents, natural talents, but we have to look and say, you know, are we going to do this? If we're not going to do it, is it good for me? What happens if I'm going to go and do something supposed to help others, but at the end I lose my soul? What's the point? See? What's the point in pushing our children to do something if they're talented, but they're going to lose their soul? So you've got to be careful. You've got to pray to God. God, do you want me to? Does, is it good for my child to, to become a musician? or to, and to learn, what, is it good for them to do that sport thing or whatever? And ask God for guidance. Is it beneficial for their soul? Would God ignore such a prayer from a person who's actually willing to sacrifice this great talent that this child could have for the sake of their soul? And even if God decides that it's not good for them to do it, he will give to that child many more other things, far greater than that. And look at these poor parents that are putting their children, even babies, on the internet so that just in case someone sees them, I think some woman over in America, she gets people to scout on the internet and they found some person who was a, was a piano player, some kid, I don't know, and then she brought him to her studio and all of a sudden that person got all these hits and now they're going to go to become a... They're going to produce all CDs, etc. So the, the child's now become... And the parents are running parents are running to do the same like Justin Bieber's mummy there they show the most stupid things on on the internet of of anything that they can just in case oh yeah 
And then the best is if you get the Queen, who's now here in Australia, not Queen Elizabeth, the other one. Um, and if you can get on her show, for sure you're guaranteed glory, money, etc. They do say Stupid. that when she um, endorses a book. Yeah, when she endorses a book, when she has someone on the tele, when she has someone come there, that's it. That person's made it. Look, I have to say that I did learn one thing from Oprah, which I have to thank her for. Because I have watched her a few times just to get some ideas with my bucket on the side. And there was one thing that she did which I must say that I learned. You can learn from people. Like, I learned something from the big O as well. And what I learned, what I learned was, and I do it now, is my book review. <laughs> like, she has her book reviews. Well, I do my book reviews. So I actually got that idea from her because, you know, she has a book club. So I got my book club here, and I don't I don't advertise the stupid books that she does, but I advertise beautiful soul-saving books like I did today. And once again, I will do the example of her. I endorse a prologue, right? And I this I read because she always says that she read it and she loved it, and she always says that um, that she read the book and she really loved it. Well, I'll say I've read these books and I really really loved it, and I really recommend these books to you. And the other one which is really great is the, 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 the explanations, right, of the of Blessed Theophilact. And if I can say, I want to, you know, I don't want to lose opportunity during my time, all the books are good at the back. <laughs> all the books I handpick myself to benefit people. That's one thing that I got from her. So I can't say to her thank you, but in person, but... You know, thank you, Oprah. <laughs> okay, so go and have a break, and then we'll we'll talk. So let us um, read this uh, teaching from Saint John of the Ladder again to make sure that we've understood it. He who is proud of his natural advantages, I mean intelligence, ability to learn, skill in reading, clear pronunciation, quick understanding, all such gifts received by us without labour, will never obtain the supernatural blessings because he who is unfaithful in a little is also unfaithful and vainglorious in much. The reason why I'm reading it again is I want to make sure that we all understand this particular teaching, because it's very important. What St. John is saying is that everyone has what's called natural, some people call it natural virtues, natural advantages or natural gifts, and he actually lists some of them, intelligence, an ability to learn, you know, a skill in reading, clear pronunciation, quick understanding, and all such gifts. What are the type of gifts? We might have a natural ability to sing. We might have a natural ability to not eat much. We might have a natural ability to not become angry. And these should not be mistaken for true virtues which come, as he says, with labour. Because virtues come with labour. Labour means 
a person who's struggling with their passions, a person who prays, a person who is trying to fulfil the commandments to attain these virtues. So, for example, a person who is who has the passion of anger, they will struggle with anger. In other words, they will fall, they will struggle with it, asking for God's help, but making an actual effort to get rid of their anger. When they do finally start to attain that virtue of meekness, which is the opposite to anger, when they start to attain that virtue, then we say that that is a true virtue. But these other things, whether someone's athletic or whether someone's naturally strong or naturally, as we said before, meek, what else did we say before? We said naturally meek, naturally quiet, uh, all those things. They're not divine virtues. They're not what we call true Christian virtues. When people have these things from basically birth, then we call them natural advantages or maybe you can even say natural virtues. Now, there was a note in the St. John of book. It says, many people are naturally meek, which means they're not angry. They're naturally gentle because gentleness is a virtue which, which people obtain with struggle. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be gentle, to be meek. But some people, as I said, have it just naturally. Meekness, gentleness, soberness, that means they have self-control, to be courageous, we, we might see a person who's a soldier, who's courageous in war. It doesn't mean that this, that this courage that they've got is necessarily a virtue, but it's natural to them. And modesty and purity and silence. It is no virtue to be naturally a small leader, but it is a virtue to abstain by choice. So, St. John says here that those people who have these natural gifts and become vainglorious, become proud about it, show off, he says that God would never give them supernatural blessings. He uses St. Luke chapter 16, line 10. It says there, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And another, another way of saying that, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Or another way of saying that, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. What does all that mean? It means if someone has little gifts, which as we said before, these natural virtues, and they are proud about it, boast about it, and don't understand that they, that they receive this without any effort, if they can't handle these small gifts, nor will they be able to handle divine gifts. And the divine gifts, as we said before, could be healing. The divine gifts could be clairvoyance. That's, we, have, we said all that before. But also divine gifts could be love, meekness, faith, all these divine gifts. So what's St. John saying? If you become vainglorious, if you become proud over 
something which you didn't even work for, then for sure you won't be able to handle a gift from God, uh, one of those other gifts, um, the divine gifts. So let us now read a few more things from St. John. St. John says in step 22 on many forms of vainglory, number seven, he says, every lover of self-display is vainglorious. What's the difference between vainglory and pride? Well, vainglory is someone who loves to display this virtue or supposed virtue. The fast of the vainglorious person is without reward. And his prayer is useless because he does both for the praise of men. When someone fasts so as to be praised by others, then, St. John says, that that person gets no benefit from his fasting, nor are his prayers going to be heard. As it says here, his prayer is useless. So this is how poisonous, how horrible and how cancerous vainglory is. Then number eight in the same step 22, a vainglorious ascetic is cheated both ways. He exhausts his body and he gets no reward. Now, of course, he's talking about an ascetic, but all of us who are Orthodox Christians are asked to lead some type of an ascetical life. An ascetical life is those who fast, those who pray, those who do prostrations, those who stand at prayer, those who struggle with their passions, with their thoughts, that's still some type of asceticism. Not as great, of course, as the great ascetics in the desert, but nevertheless, we can still learn from this. And what do we learn? That um, when a person struggles uh, for vainglorious reasons, he gets cheated in two ways. One he exhausts his body for nothing, so he, all his fasts, his prostrations, his standing in prayer, whatever he does, is, for no, is, is actually, he gets no reward for it. So he gets tired, and at the same time as getting tired, he gets nothing in return for that. God will not give grace to someone who is leading a, a spiritual life for vainglorious reasons, in other words, to show off. Number 30... I have seen some who began spiritual activity out of vainglory and although they made a bad start, yet the end proved praiseworthy because they changed their intention. So, St. John says that some people, when they do start the spiritual life, do it because they want to show off. They're doing it out of vainglory. However, he says, that even though their intention, their initial, the initial reason for them struggling was wrong, it was for vainglory, However, as time goes on, some of these people begin to change and then begin to lead a true spiritual life, and this is praiseworthy. Number 10, God often hides from our eyes even those perfections that we have obtained, but he who praises us, or rather misleads us, opens our eyes by his praise, and as soon as our eyes are open, our treasure vanishes. This is very important. In, in our spiritual life, because of our tendency to become proud and vainglorious, etc., God hides whatever good we've got. He hides it from us. We don't see it. So a person can have a virtue, 
but not really think he's got that virtue because he's too busy having passions, other passions that are bothering him. And for example, a person can be submerged in the passions, fighting, fighting continually with a sexual passion or fighting with anger. But while all this is going on, the person is increasing in their faith, their faith in God, and they begin to have a deeper prayer because they're asking God for help. But that person, because he's too busy thinking about all his passions and how bad he is, he doesn't actually see that while this is going on, he's actually developing faith in God, trust in God, and also that the person keeps on going, because that's a virtue as well, that the person is persistent and keeps on struggling, 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 even though he's been knocked down a lot. And that's what he's saying, that God hides all that from the person. The person doesn't really see it because he's been hit left, right and centre. However, he says, when someone praises us to our face or rather misleads us, for example, if someone goes up to that person and says, oh, I've noticed that you've really, that you're really um, got a lot of persistence, you're really struggling and that you kind of don't give up and you've got a lot of faith, then... Um, St. John says that, that the person's eyes are opened because of the praise. And as soon as our eyes are opened, in other words, as soon as we notice the virtue that we might have one, any small virtue in us, then this treasure vanishes. And that is why the saints were so scared of being praised. And they would tell someone off, even tell someone off if they were praising them to their face, or they would sometimes run away and go somewhere else where they're not known, or they would do things on purpose in front of people like act foolish or become angry and do certain things so that people don't know and people will say, oh, look, he's just an angry person. He's nothing. Who cares about him? He's not, he hasn't, he's not even a proper Christian. But meanwhile, he could be doing that on purpose. What we should do is not to accept or to associate with people who are praising us because they will do damage to us. And I'll show you what I mean by that. Number 11 on step 22, the flatterer is a servant of devils. St. John calls those who flatter us, those who praise us, he calls them a servant of devils. In other words, they are serving the devil. Very, very harsh words. St. John goes on. Not only are they a servant of devils, the people who flatter us, but a guide to pride, that these people who flatter us are guiding us in the um, sin of pride. A destroyer of contrition. What does that mean? That when we're praised, we lose our sense of repentance. We begin to become dead in that we don't feel our sins. And as soon as we don't feel our sins then where something's gone wrong. A ruiner of virtues, a misleader. Those who pronounce you blessed lead you astray, says the prophet from the Old Testament. Quite harsh words. Those who praise people to their face are servants of the devil, are servants of devils. They guide us to pride, they lead us to pride, and they destroy any sense of repentance in us because vainglory is kills repentance and that's why the saints 
would hate vainglory so much because they knew that if they are being vainglorious, then God takes away his grace. And when God takes away his grace, then we do not feel anything about our sins. We feel dead. If anyone feels that they don't have repentance, then it pretty much means that we are suffering from vainglory. Number 12, people of high spirit bear offence nobly and gladly. People of high spirit means spiritually progressed people are able to bear offence. means if someone tells them off, says something bad, they can, they can take that and be glad about it and, and, and not be upset. But only the holy and righteous can pass through praise without harm. So let's, this is important. Let's go through it again. People of high spirit, people that have some spiritual progress in the Christian life, they can take someone putting them down. That actually is easier than if someone praises you because when someone praises you, um, it's, it, you have to be incredibly progressed not to be harmed by the praise. So I'll read it one more time. People of high spiritual life bear offence nobly and gladly. It's easy for someone with spiritual progress. But only the holy and righteous can pass through praise without harm. And so you might say, well, why then did the saints run away? If it says here that only the holy and the righteous can pass because there are different levels in sainthood. Some person can be saintly, but not necessarily that he's actually gone to the level where he's, he's unmoved by praise. And as we read earlier on, that we can also still say, but even those who have, who have become passionless even there's still room for them to fall if they're not careful. But in general, a truly holy person does not get moved by praise. When our praises, or rather our seducers, begin to praise us, let us briefly call to mind the great number of our sins and we shall find ourselves unworthy of what is said or done in our honour. Saint John is helping us how to combat this particular problem if someone praises us because he says he actually calls them seducers they're trying to uh, take us away from God whether they know it or not they are doing that so he says what you do is briefly call to mind all your sins and then you will feel that you're not worthy of being praised in that way and you will say no to yourself you don't have to say to the person you can say to yourself well that person doesn't really know me because of all these sins that I've got number 14 no one knows the thing of man except the spirit of man which is in him and let those who try to praise us to our face be silent and ashamed for only God knows what is in us God knows our sins God knows our thoughts so those who praise us do not really know what is in the person, is what I wanted to say there. That was a little bit of an extension there of an explanation. So 
Don't be moved, as I said earlier on, when someone praises because, because God knows what's in us. And even if you enjoy the fact that someone's saying things about you which are wrong because of vainglory, know that maybe you can fool that person, but you can't fool God because God knows what's in us. And the safest thing to do is always be conscious of your sins. All of us have to be conscious of our sins, of our passions, always repenting. And when we have that, we are in a safer position to be able to be protected when these people come up and praise us to our face to take away our spiritual life, to lose grace. Number 15 in the chapter on vainglory, when you hear that your neighbour or friend has abused you behind your back, now we're going to the opposite. Before we were saying about praising, now we're saying about abuse. When someone abuses you behind your back or even to your face, then show love and praise him. Do not condemn him to, the other, to others. And this is a beautiful thing because the saints say that we should uh, prefer to be abused. Because when we're abused, it brings humility. How does it bring in humility? Well, firstly, people are putting us down. And it's very difficult to be put down because what St. John said earlier are those who are slightly progressed can actually take to be offended. But in general, we who are not progressed become bothered when we are abused, when, we, when people talk about us, put us down. We become angry. We have hate for these people a lot of times. And this is humbling because we say, oh, look, at, look how progressed I am. As soon as someone says something about me, I become angry, I become like a like a devil with hate etc so he says here don't put these people down you force yourself in other words to show love and praise them to not praise them to their face but praise them to yourself and say these people are doing good for me they're spiritually helping me the ones who are harming us are the ones who praise us but see the opposite because of our carnal mindedness because we think in the wrong way we prefer people who praise us and we despise those who put us down. But the saint here is saying, no, don't do that. Do the opposite. Those who hate you are doing you good and you should prefer them than those who are praising you and are destroying you. Number 17, it is not he who condemns himself who shows humility for who will not put up with himself but he who maintains the same love for the very man who reproaches him. In other words, someone who condemns themselves, saying, oh, look, I'm a sinful person, I'm a bad person. People usually know their own faults. They can actually condemn themselves and say, oh, well, I'm this, I'm that, in general. doesn't mean that they're repentant, but anyway. It is not he who condemns himself who shows humility. A truly humble person is one who maintains the same love for the very man who criticises him, who puts him down. So what St John is saying here, that we can all say, oh, I'm the worst, I'm bad, I'm this, I'm that. We said that before, that's called tapinoloia in Greek, which means humble speaking. And even if we mean it to some degree, well, what's, what's so humble about that? Because everyone really knows their faults, but not necessarily that they're repentant. But here he says, the person who's truly humble is a person who loves 
the person who criticizes them, who tells them off, who puts them down. They're the ones who are truly humble. Is that easy? Well, I'll say on my part that I would find it extremely difficult to show love to someone who puts me down because, why? Because of our pride, because etc. etc. We have to be open and we have to admit to ourselves that this for us is excruciating because we have ego, because we don't we aren't really humble. And that's even that good. I mean, as soon as we someone puts us down and we start getting bothered, we can actually even condemn ourselves and say, see. You say to yourself, see how off you are? See how you have not progressed in the spiritual life? Because a, true, a truly humble person is a person who loves those who put them down. Number 16, it is a great work to shake from the soul the praise of men. So he's saying this is really difficult and it's great to be able to rid your soul of the praise that people, if people praise us, we said that before, that's very difficult and only um, the progressed actually can do it. Very dangerous for those who aren't pro- progressed in the spiritual life, they become affected and lose grace. But he says here, but even greater than that are those who, who reject the praise of demons, this is greater. So, Yes, it's a great thing to be able to reject the praise of men, which, as I said before, for us who are just ordinary Orthodox Christians struggling, we can't even do that. We become affected. We believe it. We love it. We lose grace. But anyway, we haven't even gone to that stage. But St. John is here saying, but even greater than that is to be able to reject when the demons praise us in our thoughts. And a lot of us don't even know about that part of the spiritual life because we're too busy, we're too busy accepting the praise from men. So then why would the demons praise us? If we're being affected when people praise us, why then would the demons come and praise us in our minds? This step of being praised by demons really is when someone has already progressed somewhat in the stage of fighting, being affected when we are praised by human beings. If I so some people say to me, they come up to me and say, Oh, I'm you know, I'm fighting the demons, they're trying to praise me, I can feel that they're trying to make me become proud, etc. And I say to them, Well, you know, that is true that that's what we should be doing if we're at that level. A lot of times we're not at that level, and we can go crazy because we actually believe that we're doing what the what the saints did. But we have to first work on the lower level and the lower level, which we haven't even got victory over, is to be able to shake from the soul, from our soul, the praise of men. That's, that, that's where we should be looking. We should be struggling to protect ourselves from those who praise us. And then later on, we can go to the next step, which is to actually reject when the devils themselves praise us. Number 19, do not take any notice of him, the demon, in other words, when he suggests that you should accept the position of a bishop, an abbot, or a professor, for it is difficult to drive away a dog from a butcher's counter. Now, 
Uh, this is advice, obviously, that St. John's given to those who are monks. Well, we can learn from it. He's saying to those that are monks in the monastery, he's saying to them, uh, when the demons come and say to you, oh, you should be a bishop, or you should be an abbot, or you should go and teach in a university or whatever, he says, don't accept those positions because it will be difficult to drive away from yourselves vainglory. And he makes a comparison to a dog trying to uh, jump on the butcher's block. In other words, on the butcher's counter where he cuts the meat, where all the meat scraps are and the juices are there, etc., etc. A starving dog wants to go onto that counter and lick it and touch it, whatever, whatever they do there. In other words, it will be very hard to drive away vainglory. We might say, oh, this section doesn't apply to us. But when we are told to do something which has the opportunity to become vainglorious, perhaps we shouldn't do it because if we do take on that position, whether to become a reader or a deacon or a priest, etc., or to become a chanter or to do something else, including some of these things that I said before, which could even be natural things like singing, even worldly things or other things like that, or sports or, or music or university or whatever. Sometimes these things bring about vainglory. And perhaps, as I said earlier, it would be better to let some things go if there's a danger. And we see from the lives of saints so many beautiful examples of people who rejected these things so as not to fall into vainglory. Now, some of you might feel that that's really difficult because if someone has a talent or if someone has a certain you know, gift that they should actually um, uh, go ahead and cultivate it, use it under all conditions. Under, it doesn't matter. But that's wrong because we see here that if you are in danger of vainglory, then you better, sometimes it's better off to leave it, maybe leave it for a while until one progresses more in the spiritual life. I always tell people, why don't you leave it for a while and wait one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, so that you can learn through your spiritual life what is vainglory. Become sensitive to it. Be aware of it. Know how to fight it. Most people have no idea of how to fight vainglory, and then they take on all these different positions and whatever they're doing, whether it's spiritual positions or worldly positions or whatever, fall into vainglory and lose their soul because they have no idea of it. Number 20, whoever, whenever he, the demon, sees that anyone has acquired some slight measure of a, a state of peace, he immediately urges them to leave the desert for the world, saying, leave in order to save the souls which are perishing. Now, again, St. John is referring to a monk in the monastery or a nun who, because of the spiritual life, they begin to experience a little bit of peace. They begin to feel the grace of God. And then the devil comes along and says to that person, why don't you leave? Oh, sorry, this is when someone's not in a monastery. This is when someone's in, um, in the desert. He says to the person, now that you've attained this peace, now that you are in this position, you should now go back to the world and start helping um, people for their souls to be saved, that their souls are saved. And this is a trick, and we can also apply this to ourselves by saying, well, 
or because I might have a little bit of, we might think or whatever, we might notice, or whatever, because I said before that's better not to notice, but if we even feel like we're praying a bit better or something like that, then it doesn't mean that straight away that we're going to take on some great things, which might be, as I said, positions in the church or something else, um, because that can, um, the devil does that to make us fall into vainglory. And number 23, vainglory makes those who are preferred proud and those who are disregarded resentful. When a person has vainglory, they become proud when they are um, acknowledged, preferred, and they become upset when they are disregarded, when they're ignored, when they're offended, when they're hurt. So if we notice in ourselves that someone has disregarded us and we felt upset, has someone ignored us, offended us, hurt us, then if we become resentful against that person, we don't like that person, etc., that means that we are suffering from vainglory. And that means all of us, because we all, that's how we feel when someone ignores us or uh, offends us, etc. I wanted to ask a question. What about promotions at work? Like, if you're offered a promotion at work, should you not take it? Someone asked me a question. How about a worldly situation where someone is offered a, a promotion at work? Not necessarily a spiritual gift, but nevertheless, it's something where you have to exercise, uh, where you're going to be in a position of power. You might be in, um, you might be put in charge of people, etc. Or you're just going to get more money, whatever. Now, sometimes I say to people, maybe it's better not to accept it because some people do better when they're in lower positions, but as soon as they get higher positions, they lose themselves. Now, you might say, but that means that we're foregoing money and prestige, etc. Well, this is it. This is what spiritual life is. Spiritual life is to know what's good for you. Not every single... Um, advancement, not every single natural gift has to be you know, acted on. Or because someone's a great singer, they sing beautifully, it doesn't mean that they have to go that way, because as we saw from even Saint Nectarius of Nectary of uh, Optina, that he had that virtue, he had beautiful singing, but he let go. And many other saints who were great teachers, or they were this or that, some of them let it go. And you might say, well, that's not good because what does the church need? Well, the church needs, firstly, humility. And if someone rejects something but God wants that person to do it, then they will have an opportunity to, to do it. And what happens is because you, out of humility, rejected that to, for your own spiritual good, then God will then give you more grace to be able to take on that position, whether it's worldly position, spiritual position, or whatever. Humility does not go waste, is not wasted. It actually gives great rewards. For the sake of extreme dispassion, um, rich gifts, miracle work, and prophetic powers, many exhaust their bodies in vain. So it says here that some people who want to get powers or they want to be passionless or they want to have the prophetic powers, 
they exhaust their bodies, meaning in fasting and prostrations, in vain, for nothing. They forget themselves, poor wretches, poor things, since it is not toil, it is not toil, meaning it's not the work and labours, even though we're required to do that, but it's not really that, it's not the essence, so much as humility, that is the mother of such perfections. Because sometimes when we do these ascetical exercises, whether it's fasting and, and all these prostrations or standing for long periods of time, etc., vainglory brings pride and therefore we are not given gifts from God. God gives his gifts to those who are humble. We saw in the case of Elder Porphyrus when we went, when we went through his life in talk number 19, if I remember correctly, that he was obedient. That was it. That's what his elders said. All his, He had two elders there. All I want, all we want is for you to be obedient. And that's what he was. He was obedient. And, be, and obedience means humility. And because of this humility, God gave him those gifts that he received. He received these great gifts, not because he was fasting, not because he was praying, not because of only one thing, which was, even though he was doing those things, but the most important was obedience. So here people forget and they try and do all these things. They exhaust their bodies. They even become sick. But at the end, they don't get anything. They don't get the gifts that they're supposedly looking for. Um, because God gives his gifts to only the humble. Number 33, he who asks God for gifts in return for his labours has laid unsure foundations. This is what we go on with the other one. He who regards himself as a debtor will unexpectedly and suddenly receive gifts. This is, very, this is a great thing. It says, a person who is labouring in the spiritual life so as to receive gifts is really on the wrong foot because a person who is truly humble will say, I don't deserve these gifts because of all my sins that I've got. And when a person has that spirit where he says, how am I going to be saved and God ha may God have mercy on me and I'm full of passions and sins, etc., then those people unexpectedly receive gifts. And number 37, abominable, in other words, horrible, repulsive, St. John is saying. Vainglory suggests that he calls vainglory abominable, or like I said in the name of this talk, cancerous. Vainglory suggests that we should pretend to have some virtue that we don't possess. Encourages, encouraging us by the biblical text, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So people read that in Matthew 5, line 16, which says that Christ says, Let your light so shine before men. Let them see your good works. And they take that and they say, See, we should show, we should show our virtues or our good that we're doing. So some people can say, Well, that's true. Christ did say that. So does that mean that this talk about vainglory and what all the saints are saying is wrong? 
because the saints are saying, don't show your good works and virtues, but here Christ is saying, show your good works. And Saint, uh, so what I, what I did is I went to Blessed Theophilact, um, who writes the following. Christ did not say you must display your virtues, for that is not good. But rather he said only let it shine so that even your enemies will marvel and glorify not you but your father. If we practice virtue, we must practice it for the glory of God and not for our own glory. In other words, when we do practice virtue, if people notice it, not that we're going out to show it, but if people notice it, then we should say, Glory goes to God, as the saints spoke, because he's the one that gave us this virtue. But unfortunately, we're not at that stage. What do we do? We actually uh, practice virtue so that people glorify us and not God. Actually, St. Peter, in his first epistle, chapter 2, line 12, he actually says, "...having your conduct honourable among the Gentiles..." that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God. Or another way of saying it, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So, say if someone's taking care of their children, they're not going to stop taking care of their children and bringing them up in the proper way because they're scared that they might fall into vainglory. Or if someone's going to church, they don't say, I'm not going to go to church, so that people don't say, oh, look, that person's going to church. We are, we are called to do our good works, hide what we can, and, and, what, and there are obviously many that we can't hide, and we... When, if anyone does praise us, we give glory to God. See, it says here, so that when, and, and if others, so that they can see our good works, which they observe and glorify God. So, for example, if we go to a hospital to visit a sick person, or we have that, we have that practice that we go to hospitals to visit people, or whatever. And we're not going to stop doing that so that people won't glorify, won't say, oh, isn't that great what he's doing? But what we want is we want, in our hearts, we, if a person does say, oh, isn't that a great thing that that person's going to the hospitals to visit the sick, we want God to be glorified and not ourselves. Of course, that's a very difficult virtue, but it, does, it, but it doesn't mean that we stop certain things. There are certain things that we can hide, so as not to become vainglorious, but there are certain things that we can't hide and let those things shine. In other words, they shine because of the virtue that God's given us. If we're able to go and visit someone in the hospital, then that means that God's given us a gift to do that. And it's not from ourselves. So if anyone is to glory, they glorify God. The Lord often brings the vainglorious to a state free of vainglory through dishonour that befalls him. This is a beautiful one as well. In other words, do we want to be rid of vainglory? St. John 
the, the latter says, well, how? Well, if you, if you ask God to rid you from vainglory, the way that it's done is through dishonor. In other words, through the passions, through where we have, you know, we have anger or sexual passions, addictions. Some people have certain addictions when they're slandered, when they're ridiculed by in the you know in the public arena, slander, sicknesses, mental illnesses, phobias, neurosis. There's all these ways that God allows for a person to go through so as to be free from vainglory. But of course, only a person who's seeking salvation, as I said earlier, only a person who's seeking salvation will actually have the courage to pray to be rid of vainglory because that person, if they're seeking salvation, they know that vainglory will be a reason not to enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the vainglorious can't be saved. And that is why the saints had that courage and said, do what you have to do. They would pray to God, do what you have to do, but rid me of that vainglory. Do not hide your shameful deeds with the idea of removing a cause of stumbling from your neighbour. Some people don't admit their shameful deeds, their passions, because they say, I don't want to scandalise my neighbour. Although perhaps it would not be advisable to use this remedy in every case, but it will depend on the nature of one's sins. In other words, St. John is saying, you should be open about your passions. Don't hide them being scared that you're going to cause someone to be scandalised or someone to have trouble. But this is not advisable for everything. There are certain passions, especially sexual ones, which we shouldn't be open about because those things can be dangerous uh, and cause problems. But, you know, if someone's got, example, ego, well, what's wrong with admitting and say, oh, I'm an egotistical person or, or I'm a glutton or I'm lazy? We say, oh, I'm not going to say this because then people will be scandalised. Don't, don't have those thoughts. He says, don't hide them. Don't hide them because it's spiritually beneficial. It's humbling. And number 44, simpler people, oh yeah, this is nice, simpler people are not much infected with the poison of vainglory because vainglory is a loss of simplicity and an insincere way of life. In other words, a simple person, that doesn't mean someone who's not intelligent, just being simple. We have saints that were very intelligent holy great fathers of the church, but they were simple. He's saying here that people that are complex are more open to vainglory because he says vainglory is a loss of simplicity. If you go into a mind of a vainglorious person, it's just all complicated. And I had a thought that that person's looking at me and then when that person's looking at me, then I thought this and that and that and it just goes all over the place and it drives you mad. And this is just a, a, a note that I want to say, that premature exposure of children to intellectualism, in other words, when we try to educate children at a young age, when we try to, help, when we try to make children to rationalise, to think out things, we make them complex. 
we actually take away their simplicity. And that is why early, early education of children, probably before the age of seven, just makes complex, sick children. And that is why we do not see today simplicity even among children. A child can be eight, nine, ten years old and they look 14, 15 and they've got craziness of a, of a, of a teenager because television and this early education makes the mind com complicated. And I want to talk about this one day in the future, but that it's really good that some countries, especially the northern European countries, have actually come to a, to a conclusion that um, children should really start formal education at around the age of seven. They've shown that those children, especially boys, they've shown that those children who are introduced to education at an older age do far better in the long run than the children who are introduced at a younger age. The children that are introduced at a younger age, like four and a half, etc., like we've noticed now, because some kids can go to school here in Australia as early as four and a half, four and a half, five, even five and a half, even six, most of those children are not ready. And that's why we have a whole flood of all these children with learning difficulties and a lot of hang-ups and a lot of uh, emotional um, problems because we are taking away their beautiful innocence and their simplicity. That's why Christ says, just to be simple, like children. But we don't mean children that have been exposed to all this education early, and at the end, they don't have any simplicity. And then if they've got no simplicity, then spiritual life would be very difficult for a person who's complicated in their mind. And what, is, what do we know, as I've said in previous talks, that those who are educated usually find it difficult to lead a spiritual life because they, their minds are so complicated, they try to think everything out, they try to rationalise everything. What does that mean, that we shouldn't be educated? No, it means that we should start education when it's appropriate, but we should also understand that the most important thing is not education to know arithmetic and numbers and letters and ABCs. The most important thing is Christian virtue, to teach the children virtue, and secondary is education. If you have it the other way around, where you've got education as first and Christian virtue as second, then you're going to produce children with a lot of problems. When a fall has overtaken us, now we go to the step 23, which is on mad pride. When a fall has overtaken us, when we fall into a sin, in other words, their pride has already pitched a tent, meaning that understand that if you're falling into sin, that means that we were proud and that's why we fell into sin. So every time we sin, we just say, we fell into sin. Yes, I fell then because I must have been proud. Even if we don't know that we're proud, we just assume it because that's the spiritual teaching that's God's law pride always comes before a fall number nine in step 23 on mad pride that's what Saint John calls it God opposes the proud as Saint James says who then can have mercy on them in other words if God 
does not give his grace to the proud, how are these people going to obtain mercy? Because we need God's grace to obtain mercy. But if a person's proud, they can't obtain mercy because God won't come near them. Every proud-hearted man is unclean before God. Every proud-hearted man is unclean before God. Who then can cleanse such a person? In other words, when a person has pride and they won't humble themselves, they willfully cut themselves off from God. Number 11, he who refuses reproof shows his passion, pride. But he who accepts it is free of this bond. In other words, a person who is able to accept being told their faults, um, that's, that's humility. If they can't, that's a sign of pride. Number 12, see it's a bit different to vainglory, related but it goes on to, uh, it's, it's actually abominable. Number 12, an angel fell from heaven without any other passion except one, pride. And so we may ask whether it is possible to ascend to heaven by humility alone, without any other of the virtues. Now of course St. John doesn't answer that. St. John is given is posing a question. If the, de- if the devils fell just from pride, does that mean just from humility we can be saved? The opposite. And then I put a little note here. Of the obstinate elders often said, as do many of the Holy Fathers, that with self-condemnation, just with self-condemnation, one can be saved. So the answer to St. John's question is yes. We hear that often. A contrite and humble heart God will not despise. A person who acknowledges their sin, a person who is repentant of that sin, will be saved. The thief on the cross, all he said was that he deserved to be there. He condemned himself, he humbled himself, he repented, and just from that he was saved. So that is actually a good example. Number 14 in step 23, a most learned elder spiritually admonished a proud brother. Admonished means that he reprimanded them. And, but in he, he, in his blindness, said, Forgive me, Father, I'm not proud. The wise elder said to him, What clearer proof of this passion could you have given us, my son, than to say, I'm not proud? A person who is not aware of their pride is in deep trouble. So don't say, oh, I've got pride, I've got pride. Yes, notice that you've got it, fight it, repent of it, and then there is a chance to be rid of it. But if a person is not aware of their vainglory, and if a person's not aware of their pride, those people are in danger. We should constantly be examining and comparing ourselves with the Holy Fathers and the lights who lived before us. And we should then find that we have not yet entered on the path of the ascetic life. Elder Paisio says this as well. Always compare yourself to the, to the saints. Read the lives of saints. Read the lives of the Holy Fathers. See their virtue. And then see and, and, and say to yourself, look at, look at their virtue. I'm not even close to them. And don't fall into despair. What he says here is basically, well, he doesn't say it, but I know that Elder Paisios and other saints, they say that um, by comparing yourselves to the Holy Fathers, to the saints of the church, this brings humility, not despair, just humility. Just say, look how far away I am from virtue. Look how far away I am from God. Just that 
will be able to get us into the kingdom of heaven because it's humility. And whatever produces humility gives grace, and grace is what saves us. Forgetfulness of our falls is the result of conceit. St. John is saying when we forget our sins, when we forget about the one, all the sins that we've fallen into, present and past, this is because we are proud. For the remembrance of them, when we remember our sins, our falls, when we remind ourselves, I remember when I fell into that, and I fell into that, and I fell into that, etc. This leads to humility. Number 31, a proud monk has no need of a devil. He has become a devil and an enemy to himself. I think that's pretty much a beautiful ending to the talk. Just I think it was only one more. A proud monk has no need of a devil. In other words, the devil doesn't fight a proud person. Why? Because he has become a devil and his own enemy. That's how the saints considered pride. If we remember that, a proud monk has no need of a devil... He has no need of a devil to fight, or even a Christian, a proud Christian. Why even say just monk? A proud Christian has no need of a devil. He has no need for the devil to fight him. He has become a devil and an enemy to himself. And the last one, 32, darkness is foreign to light and a proud person is foreign to every virtue. Just like you can't have darkness and light at the same time. It's either darkness or there's light. So where there's darkness, there's no light. Where there's light, there's no darkness. And St. John's saying, in the same way, a person that's proud can't have virtue. And a person that has virtue can't really have pride. When we say pride, we don't mean everyday struggling with the pride. We mean when a person has been taken over by pride to the point that they don't feel their sins anymore, that they don't sense they're, they're, um, they're not repentant. Because that's a sign of a true spiritual life, when a person has repentance. So that's the end of the talk. So that's why this talk, I decided to call it Pride and Vainglory, a Spiritual Cancer. In other words, don't be scared of cancer of the body. Because many have died from cancer and were saved. They were cleansed, humbled and saved. That's not what to be scared of. Remember, even if we live a few more years, if we go and do some radiotherapy and chemo, we ask for a miracle, we might live another 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. It doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, we're still going to die. And the main thing is not to die with spiritual cancer. And the spiritual cancer is pride and vainglory. Amen.